And we're live, Dave Rubin. I'm trying to shut this fucker. Shut off. that fucking thing off for two seconds. Um, Jesus. We are here to celebrate the fact that Chris Christie got kicked off of a quiet train <laughs> this morning for talking on his phone while drinking a McDonald's strawberry shake. And this is the guy who wants to ban pot. How about ban yourself, you fucking slob? How dare you? How dare he drink a McDonald's strawberry shake in public? After, in light of everything. Not only that, know? after having his stomach stapled. Yeah. It, it didn't really take. Yeah. You know? It's, you can stretch most those people, bitches out. You, you can? Yeah. But do you have to do something? But you think he's doing something? Like, you just keep eating. You just keep plowing through. I know a guy who's blown through two of them. Ooh. He's had it done twice and blown through it both times. So you actually, like, tear open the staples? Like, is that... I, you actually... know, I haven't done any MRIs yeah, you know, right. or uh, operations on these people. Well, I thought we were going to go heavy medical <laughs> stuff today. But Surgery as and it's shit. been explained to me, Dave Rubin, the yes. skin is flexible. And if you just keep stretching that bitch out... It's clearly when with these people, like, I have a friend, and uh, his friend is, is a f friend of mine as well, but a good friend of his, and he was about, he's about to go do this. And I said, please try to talk him out of it, because you don't need surgery. You just need to change your life. Yeah. Because the surgery is only going to fix the physical aspect of it. There's a reason why you're stuffing all this sugar and fat, and you're just, you're addicted to food. Yeah. So you need to find out what it is what's going on like so you're talking about the the psychological yeah, part of the emotional I think that's part. where yeah. it's really at I don't I don't think it is the physical thing hmm. I think the physical thing is a manifestation of a psychological issue for sure you get physically addicted to to shitty food like I quit sugar recently mm -hmm. shouldn't say I quit sugar cuz I had a little this weekend um so I don't I didn't quit it but I I removed it from my primary diet and I I quit it altogether for two weeks. Yeah. And what happened to me five days in was really shocking, because I had a massive headache. Like five days in, I, mm -hmm. the cravings were freaky, and my head was killing me. And it's like snapples and protein bars and low fat milk. There's all this shit that has sugar in it. Everything. Granola. You think of granola as healthy. Yeah. And then I would look at I'm like twenty grams of sugar in a fucking serving of granola. And I usually have two servings. Uh huh. Yogurt. I mean, look, it's not even sugar what we do. We do, in America, we do high fructose corn syrup. Yeah, I don't know if to too. illuminate you on this, yeah. but in our Coke, in our can of Coke, because it's cheaper to put corn in it, to sweeten it, we're drinking corn instead of sugar. That's why people get Mexican Cokes. Yeah. You know what I mean? You go to a fancy restaurant here in LA, they give you a Mexican Coke because that has real sugar. Think how just warped our whole system is. I know. The, the corn thing, <laughs> but we could do five hours on corn because corn is, you know, it's in, it's in wallpaper. It's in everything. It's amazing. And, you know, you're trying to get off sugar, but what you're really trying to get off is corn. There's definitely that as well. Um, but I, I, I think um, even just simple sugar. It's like even uh -huh. like, like I read this one thing. It's like uh, I forget what the product was, but it was one of the ingredients was pure cane sugar. Like you're selling me something amazing. Well, like, that's Pepsi now. Yeah. They pure cane sugar. Like holy shit, sugar. <laughs> it's still sugar, but Whoa. it's still your body doesn't necessarily differentiate. It's still sugar. Real salt. You know, like that's <laughs> that's how dumb that's how dumb people have become about food. We were talking a little bit about food before we yeah. started, but like. It's really, it's like the most important stuff, what you put yeah. into your body so that then you can function on this earth. And, yeah. and we're so warped. We got corn instead of sugar. 
Even just now. So I, I've, I told you, I drank like 17 coffees before, but I didn't put any. You have stevia and everything. I just went straight black, nothing. I've been drinking straight black lately, too. But uh, it's actually, you know, uh, I have this guy, Peter Giuliano, on at one point, who's a, a real coffee expert. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you talk to a guy like that and you talk about putting cream in the coffee, you can see his face like, oh, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, to him, it's it's a sacrilege almost. Like, so what what, what would to. he say to drink it? What's the best? Black, way? just black, black. That's it. Yeah. And I've been drinking it black. I actually prefer it. Um, what in a method that this guy Rob Wolf created, which is you mix it with grass fed butter. I was doing and it. MCT oil. The problem is for a podcast that gives me phlegm, and I start <clears throat> in the middle. And it's annoying as fuck for people that are listening. But it's pretty damn show. delicious. It's very good. Yeah, so I still I, do that, but I just don't do it before a podcast anymore. So I, I did it. I did it for about six months. I was doing the grass fed butter and coconut oil, just mm. like a teaspoon of coconut oil. And it's amazing, and you feel great, and it's delicious, and all that. But I did over the course of about six months. I probably gained like eight pounds from all the butter. It's it's a lot of calories mm-hmm. to be plowing in yeah. in the morning, but it does do some good things. I think it has something to do with how the caffeine actually ingests into your body. It slows it down, so you don't get that like burst of energy yeah. and then crash and all that, which was all great. But you know, eight pounds in six months—that is a lot to gain. For most people, it dulls their appetite. Didn't dull your appetite? Um, no, not you really. I, I don't give up. I live in West Hollywood. <laughs> I, there's a certain amount of working out I have to do. Not, not Joe Rogan level, but you know, uh, it's, uh, just to stay in the neighborhood, just a certain amount. Ugh. Have you ever walked standards? down yes. like Santa Monica in the middle of West Hollywood? I live in the gayest place on earth. I've never seen so many Daisy Dukes. It is. It, it really. In one spot. Well, first off, <laughs> I'm considered morbidly obese by these people's standards because <laughs> they they starve themselves. I don't understand. For people how, listening, Dave Rubin's a very slim man. <laughs> yeah, if you're just <laughs> very listening, you're slender and fit. So. Um, the thing is, these guys, you know, it's the gayest place on earth, and these guys work on their bodies all day long. You should not carrying a dog. They carry their dogs, these opsalopsas and all these mm-hmm. other fans. Your bicep shouldn't be bigger than your dog. You know what I mean? That just shouldn't be. And you shouldn't be <laughs> carrying. I, I have a pit bull. She's not, you know, my bicep's not bigger than her. I think that's a healthy way to do it. But yeah, in West Hollywood, these guys, they st- I don't know how do you starve yourself and have huge muscles. I just don't. Well, it's all steroids. It's steroids. Uh, that yeah. certainly helps. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can, there's, there's some stuff that uh, fighters have been caught with that uh, I think it's called, there's one called clenbutrol and st- another called stenozanol, I think. And the idea really behind good for these, you, that stuff. the clen, yeah. I think, is supposed to like really just lean you out. It's a bodybuilder thing. And the stenozanol allows you to keep mass on or helps you, assist you in keeping mass on when you cut weight. So for fighters that are trying to be like the biggest in their weight class, right. they're dehydrating themselves, but they want to keep as much muscle mass as possible. That, that can't be good for Terrible. long-term health, right? So bad for your body. I mean, so I, I see it with these guys, and it's like, you know, they're doing this just so that they can get somebody that has a better body than mm-hmm. them so they can fuck, <laughs> and then they move on to the next one. It's like this endless uh, game, you know what I mean? Like, I got a hot body, he's got a hot body, I'll fuck him, now I move this. Like, it's just this, you're climbing this ladder. Yeah. It's like Icarus, you know what I mean? You're just going up and up and up, but one day this thing is just going to blow up in your face. Yeah, but, you know. That could be a sex If you look at life, though, like, life is this temporary trip, right? You, you have maybe... <sighs> 50 years of people actually wanting to have sex with you. 
right? Yeah. If you're fucking so lucky, you take yeah. care of everything. So that's like from 18 to like, when you're closing in on 70, everybody who fucks you is just doing you charity. And that's the right? saddest. That's the saddest. These, these, you, I see this, these overly tanned, hair-plugged guys that are 70 years old mm-hmm. and they're still at the gym hoping that that 28 year old is looking at them and yeah. instead they're staring at everyone and gawking at them horribly yeah. and it's, it's all gross it's, it's really sad <laughs> and we, we can get into this a little later but it also shows me why the the gay marriage thing was so important mm-hmm. because these are i actually have a lot of empathy for these people although i can you know it's easy to make fun of but like if you couldn't ever enter a relationship that then is you're going to build like what you have with your wife where you can build a life you know right. and you can have kids and move forward in life well then if all you have is just fucking you just keep doing it you know Fuck, what I mean? and as many guys as possible rotations different ones texting you all day long trying Every, to put it together yeah i mean <laughs> trying but, to figure out when you could squeeze the time in you know and it i guess <laughs> exactly and i guess if you know it feels good in the moment yeah. but for the long term health of just like what being right. a human is not so great but i think you know interestingly interestingly enough if you look at the perspective of like a, a full long life like it's just a bunch of moments it's just like trying to maintain happiness at mm-hmm. a certain level as much as possible and you could be chris christie where you're addicted to mcdonald's shakes Ugh. and being a fat slob and doesn't he have an advisor no, he isn't there an advisor too, that says too much ego he doesn't listen yeah or you know you could, you could try to fill yourself up with that and you know, be married and have kids, and you know, and have that part of your life sure. achieve normalcy. Or you can do the super tan, roided up, dick sucking rampage <laughs> that those guys that work out at like yeah. Gold Gold's Gym on Cole. Do you know yeah. that that spot? I don't know that one, but dude, when I was on news radio, yeah, um, I we used to work out. Uh, we used to work at Sunset and Gower. Mm-hmm. That was the studio. Yeah. And Gold's Gym was right down the street. So sometimes we'd have off like two hours during the middle of the day where they had to rewrite scripts or stuff like that. So I'd just shoot over to Gold's, get a workout in and come back. But it is the fucking gayest gym. It's not, it's it's a, a ferocious disco is what it is. <laughs> It's just a bunch of men with scrunchy socks on and yeah. Timberlands and like super short shorts and just the tightest tank tops. And you walk in there like a wounded antelope, yeah. just gingerly stepping close to the water hole. But like, how did you feel there? Because you're, <laughs> you're in exactly good shape. I felt. But, but you're in good shape, right? Like you care about your body, right? You're doing the right things. But you go in there and you see these guys and you, you does it completely like, oh, fuck, like I'm a fat fuck. No, it wasn't that at all. I was I was in my 20s when I was doing that. This is when I was on news radio. But I was I was fucking being targeted. Yeah. Like that was the problem. <laughs> like guys yeah. were like, you could have 20 pounds on the bar. Guys like, I'll spot you. Like, I don't need a spot, dude. <laughs> Just get your fucking balls from above my head. Yeah. Like they would literally, you'd be on the bench and dudes would just put their dick above your head to grab the bar. They just wanted their dick in proximity with your face. You know, like when you're doing bench press. They can literally just... bench press with their cocks. You know <laughs> I what bet I mean? they can. Yeah. This was pre-Viagra, too, you gotta think. Because this was in the 90s. These poor bastards were going on the natch. Yeah. And, when it, and when it went bad, then they had cock pumps and the it was a Liberace movie with um, Michael Douglas. Like he had some uh, sort behind of the implant. candelabra, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, have impl- they used to have implants, I guess. Back in those days, those poor guys. I had no idea we were going to start like this. I didn't either. This that's, is, that's the beauty of this show. That we is, just let that bitch run. Yeah. But I, for a, a brief moment, not not entirely, because I can defend myself, but I, I felt what it was like to be a woman that was pursued by yes. men. Yes. Because men are 
fucking gross. Yeah. Well, you know? that's the thing. It has nothing. <laughs> it has nothing to do with gay or straight. Mm-hmm. It's a man thing. Mm-hmm. So if you happen to be a man into men, yes. Well, congratulations. You just got welcome to that world, and you were treated <laughs> like a woman. Exactly. So I have great sympathy for women that have to deal with this shit. I got treated like a woman with a gun. It's like, you know, like, okay, all right, relax, oh. relax. Uh, you know, yeah. because like, I, I, I wasn't vulnerable physically. Yeah. Because I was like, dude, stop. Yeah. And then it's two dudes looking at each other, and I'm like, you know, come on, man, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. It wasn't like a woman who, like, could physically be overpowered by this guy. It was like a guy saying, I'm going to kick your ass if you don't stop trying to fuck me. Yeah. Like, stop. Were you always amazed at their relentless, relentless, relentless tenacity to never take a cue? Joe Rogan not into it. And they can never take the cue, right? Yeah, well, it's only a few guys. Most guys would figure out that you were straight and they were respectful. Yeah. The vast majority. But it only takes, if there's 300 guys working out at the gym, it only takes two guys (laughs) to fuck up the entire experience. Less than 1%. Yeah. And they'll just, but those are the ones that are just like, they're going to go for it. But, how, you know, there's probably 50 other guys that are trying to work their way into the friend zone. Right. You know, which is what women experience. What women experience is a bunch of guys. I, I can't tell you, especially when I was younger and I was single, how many fucking girls that I dated who would work with some guy who would say, well, Mike from the office says, z- 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 z. I'm like, Mike's trying to fuck you. Yeah. Mike's no trying shit. to fuck you. He's not yeah. even a real person. He's not even a real person. Mike's wearing a kabuki mask and he's doing a fucking dance. It's a mating dance. Yeah. That's not what he thinks. This is bullshit. Stop it. Meanwhile, I got to go to the gym and yeah. deal with that. Mike you would see? marry me. And me. Mike is a fucking idiot. <laughs> Jesus. But that's what it's. I mean, it's there's a reason why there's seven billion of us because this this drive to procreate and not even on a conscious level. It's not like oh my god, I have to get this girl pregnant and have a baby. It's like I got to come inside of her. Yeah. You know, I have to come. I have to figure out how to get this person to touch my body and create pleasure. You, you don't take. You don't take the, the the objective steps to recognize, oh, this is a gigantic biological trick that's been set in place by nature because it was really hard to survive just a few thousand years ago. Yeah. It was insanely hard to survive, and you had to make sure you made as many people as possible so that they made as many people as possible so we can keep this retarded party going. <laughs> that's what it is, That's right? what it is. At the end of the day, that's what it is, and that's why it keeps getting dumber. I, I, I'm sure you've seen <laughs> Idiocracy. You ever yes, see Idiocracy? Yeah. Like, well, you know what? I honestly haven't seen it. I've only oh. seen clips of it but i had a bit that people accused me of stealing from idiocracy but luckily i did the bit before idiocracy came out so i got like i got grandfathered in that's the that's but, the comedian's dilemma yeah. when you're doing good shit so that 10 years later everyone's like oh you must have stole that and you're like no 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 i did that 10 years ago well it wasn't that close it was just the uh, the concept that many people have had is that dumb people are outbreeding smart people yeah, th- my, that's the that's the movie mine was that it explained the pyramids my thing was that the idiot pyramid workers would show up one day and go uh, i was supposed to get my check on friday yeah. where is everybody <laughs> but all the smart people who figured out how to build the pyramids had already died yeah and that we had to so the people just moved into the pyramids like why we live in these mud houses we can live in the periods so they moved into the pyramids and pretend they built it and there's this long thing that sort of explains what's going on today yeah and i think that we we all think at a certain level that that's true that there's way more dumb people than there are smart people and then we all think that we benefit from people like elon musk and innovators and geniuses but how many of them are there not many. Not many. Not many. <laughs> it's a tiny, tiny number. Yeah. 
Well, listen, I uh, I just got gay married like a month ago. I love how you say gay married. I have to say, gay, well, first off, people don't believe that I'm gay. They just simply don't accept it. Why don't they accept it? Pe- they say I don't act gay. I play sports. Mm. I don't, you know, like th- I got this at the Gap. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm not like gay. You didn't like go to that. Amber Cumber and Fitch and get d- assaulted with that smell that they zap you with when you walk in there. You know, it's funny. I know that smell. Uh, <sighs> I used to be afraid when I was closeted, like in high school and college, because I didn't come out till really my mid to late twenties. But I used to be afraid of Abercrombie and Finch because they used to have those shirtless, you know, like these shirtless hot guys standing outside. And I felt that they could, that they would know. Like, I just thought, like, these guys are going to know that I'm gay. Wait a minute. They used to have guys standing outside the the store? Yeah. Oh, you don't remember that? Like, even the stores at the mall, they'd have just these shirtless guys. All you know, they are all perfectly tan. They all look perfect, and they would just be standing there greeting you. What? And to me, it was like, how it was did like, I miss this? Yeah, it was like walking into a porn. So I was afraid that they were gonna like read gay on me. <laughs> so I never. I'm not kidding. I don't think I have ever bought anything from Abercrombie. <sighs> I've been there many times, but I never saw you never the saw shirtless that? gay That's guys. That's how straight I you missed are. Missed it. Good well, for you. What year was it that they did this? They were for a long time. They were doing this probably in the mid early 2000s. Yeah, I, don't, I probably didn't go. To Abercrombie and Fitch until the mid two thousands. So I did. Maybe they were always, phasing it out. You know what's really interesting? That started as a hunting and fishing supply yeah. company. Yeah. Like boy, did they fucking make a turn? Yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then that guy, you know, the guy who runs it, who's got he must have body dysmorphia or something. I don't you know, know he who has, he is. There's this guy. Pull it up, Jamie. He's the what's he's his the name? one. I don't know what his name is. He's the one who uh, he really instilled this idea that everyone there has to look perfect and look the same sort of. And that's why they've had all these lawsuits with people that were either a little fat that couldn't get jobs there, or I think there was a girl who wanted to wear a hijab or all, all that stuff. And but if you look at this guy, we'll pull him up so much fucking work done on his face because he's just it goes to what you said before he's like expressing his own weaknesses and he's projecting them sort of onto a generation of kids and he's also expressing his own like confusion externally whether he realizes yeah I mean look at that guy Whoa. Like he's had some serious shit. 61 year old CEO. We don't need to say his name. Says yeah. dude a lot. He'll say what a cool. Oh, this is salon.com. First of all, oh, fuck yeah. salon. Yeah, fuck salon. Fuck you. I am down with that. You fucking creeps. Frauds. They're just aggressively shitty. And I, I don't. Who bu- writes those fucking headlines, those tweets? I had done follow them because I was like, this is such epic bullshit yeah. and just such dishonest trash. Yeah. Like, ugh. Terrible. Dave Rubin, why he's everything that's wrong with gay people today. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, you would get those kind of articles and just twisting and distorting your real positions to make social brownie points to appeal to the hardest of hardcore, aggressive social justice warrior lefties. Can we get everybody to hate everybody? Yeah. Can we fucking split everybody down to just their color and their sex to yeah. the point where you can then control everybody? Because if anyone gets out of that little box... There's something wrong with them, yeah. not something wrong with you. Well, this poor guy, he's not hanging in there well. Like Robert Redford, that motherfucker's he hanging in good. there well. Yeah. He's hanging in there well. He's obviously an old dude, but he doesn't look like a monster. Yeah. Like I was at, um, my kid has a gymnastics class, and there's this poor unfortunate woman who goes to this gymnastics class who, uh, she looks like she's quite wealthy. She's always dressed very well, but she's got what I call monster face. And monster face is when they shoot their face up with filler and then they do the lips and then they pull their face back so they have this sort of reptilian mouth where yeah. their mouth is way too big. Mm-hmm. And it's way too big that, because yeah. they're pulling this Ugh. fucking skin so the opening of their mouth doesn't match a normal person's face because yeah. it's, it's bigger. 
it stretches like this guy's Chris Christie's stomach. You keep pulling it, it gets bigger. I mean, think, skin is flexible. Think how deranged, really, like the idea of that. You know, these people care about what they look like, right? So they want to look better. So they go in that first time, they get a little Botox or they get Restylane or what, one of those fillers, whatever that is. But think how the course of that changes the way they think about everything to the point where that woman probably thinks she looks good. You know I what I mean? Know. That's that's an adventure in the psyche right there. Yeah. I mean, it's the same as bodybuilders. It's the same as people with anorexia. Yeah, it's the same as the guys we were talking about before. Yes. You know what I mean? They just mm -hmm. keep, you just keep doing it. No matter what you do, you take off your shirt, you look in the mirror and you go, this should be a little tighter over here. Yeah. You know, and the woman's looking at her. It's always the upper lip. That's the yes. one I see on these women. They the get upper it fat. Lip. Yeah. I have this poor lady that I know that had her lips done and every time she talks to you that she's got a scar like inside of her mouth yeah that's like it's her lip you know it's like it it there's a line so like it the lips never move correctly because yeah. like Lisa Rena is that her name yeah that's well she had that thing removed right uh, she, she? she was the one that had like the crazy 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 lips and I'm pretty oh. sure about a year ago uh, she had like something taken out or some filler or something, but I get it though, man. I had hair transplants when I was in my twenties and I they didn't take big, thing. definitely didn't take not anymore. <laughs> but, uh, I, I had a joke about it. The joke was it's like taking really healthy people and moving them into a neighborhood where everybody's dying. <laughs> it's like <laughs> you try to repopulate yeah. like Chernobyl. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you thought you were gentrifying the front, but in the end you just killed more people. Well, you know what it is, man? You keep losing hair. Yeah. So it worked at first. Like, oh yeah, the parts that it was falling out, I filled it in, we're good. Yeah. But you're not good. You keep It keeps it keeps fucking up. So you did the thing where you yeah. actually had yeah, it like cut out. See, see the back of my head? Oh yeah, wow. Yeah. They cut a strip out. How long they, did you let it go it. before you gave up and just said, <sighs> Well, I had it um, done and then it, slow, it was just slowly giving up. And then there's also uh, things you can do, like you could take Rogaine, which kind of keeps it in. Mm -hmm. But how funny is it when your name is Rogan and you're going to buy Rogaine? Yeah. That's, that's ironic. Just for that reason alone, <clears> you probably shouldn't have been on it because it was like, I just dealt with it. I dealt with that. But I'm like, yeah. if it works, I don't give a shit. And it did kind of work. And then Propecia, which works really well, but also kills your dick. Kill, yeah. So yeah. you got a, you got a lot, of, lot of options there. I did. I, I was on Propecia for about six months, about maybe seven or eight years ago, and I couldn't get a boner. Yeah. It's a boner killer. Yeah. I'd not, rather not have a boner fun. than yes, hair. Like, I, I, I can fully say that. <laughs> but I've, now that I shaved my head, I actually like it way better. It's so easy. And you don't get kidnapped by uh, people that are cutting your hair. Because uh, I used to cut, get my hair cut by this lady who I love dearly. But sometimes I'd be in a rush. Uh -huh. And she would hold me hostage with these <laughs> fucking stories. Because she'd be holding the scissors. And then I told her, you're not going to fucking talk to me like that. And, and I'd be like, oh, really interesting. Cut my fucking hair so I can run. Yeah. Cut my hair so I can run away. So basically you shaved your head because you didn't want to listen to this bitch. No, that she was, was not. Bitch. She's not a bitch. She's my friend. I love her. But her stories are terrible. Yeah. But it's not even that. It's just it's it's just something to not think about. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden when I shaved it, it was like instant freedom. Like, oh, yeah. And I use the back of my head as a public service announcement. Like if anybody's thinking about getting a hair transplant, I'm like, look at my just head. Look See it, the look. scar? You don't want one of those. Yeah. I mean, it's not the worst thing in but the world. Can it's you not swim? Cancer. Let me get this straight. Can you swim? Because I always see in the commercials when they get the hair, <laughs> suddenly they can swim again. It seems like they couldn't swim. They they had lost the ability to do the breaststroke. Well, the wig commercials are the same. In the wig yeah. commercials, they're always underwater. Yeah, it's like fucking crazy. So you're telling me you hair. can still swim? I, it's not as good. 
I'm, I'm a little <laughs> sleeker through the water, so it's confusing. Yeah. My timing is off. It all makes you know? no sense because yeah. the you see the Olympic guys, they wear the caps so mm-hmm. that it, it makes it seem like they're bald and right. they're swimming well. And yet mm. you watch those commercials and then they have a head of hair and they're swimming well. So it's, it's a very confusing. Well, I think the idea is that if you get in the water, like um, instantly all the work that you've done with hairspray to lock this fucking monster in place, yeah. it all evol- d- dissolves with the water and you leave behind an oil slick. But uh, when, you, uh, when you get in the water with one of those wacky wigs, the little hair yeah. club jammies, when the idea is that you can... Nobody can tell. Nobody can tell. Now, I know you have theories on things. Do you have a, a theory on hair loss? Was it stress-related for you? No, it, it's uh, just genetics. purely genetics. It's 100% genetics. Yeah. It's dihydrotestosterone. Your body produces a derivative of testosterone, DHT, causes your hair to fall out. I don't know why it exists in humans. It's, it's a strange thing, and why it exists in some and not others. But they're, they're like really close to fixing that apparently with just like some sort of a pill or a rub but that'll probably cause cancer or do yeah, something. That's make you right. go blind in one eye you're gonna have diarrhea yeah, and something. all that shit every pill we take causes 20 other things you know you know i really yeah. think that they need to start they need to show us when they talk about the pill whatever pill it is you got restless leg syndrome you got what uh, is that your legs can't stop you how's that like, real how's that <laughs> Bill Maher does a funny bit on that, like, you know, because we sit all day. It's your body, like, revolting against right. you. Like, get the fuck up. Go do some shit. Does. I wonder if, like, joggers get restless leg syndrome. Probably not, because they're actually moving. Yeah, I mean, that, well, that would be a really interesting to study. Jamie, you're a runner. Do you ever get restless legs? Yeah. You He's, do? You got the restless like, leg? I've had it my whole life. You get restless, restless leg? leg. Yeah. But you run a lot. That's why I, I was moving my legs over here. Okay. I just feel like they need to move. I don't know. It's weird. Wow. Oh. I'm, I'm not it's sure. It's not real, though. I don't feel like but don't real. you think they should no. have to show, like, when they show you the pill, and they and then mm-hmm. everyone's running in a field, it's all that bullshit marketing nonsense. Right. But then they'll say it could cause suicidal thoughts. They should have Ooh. to show someone going through suicidal thoughts or show somebody having diarrhea. Like, they, they keep doing this, but the guy's running through a field having a hell Show me what, what it's like. Those commercials. Sudden death. Yeah. Show a guy walking down the boardwalk just dropping dead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why are they allowed to do <laughs> that it's such mixed messaging you don't understand what you're getting yourself into chantix you're going to stop smoking you might drop dead you might you know explosive diarrhea whatever it is like yeah you show me yeah that's one thing if you're advertising a car right <clears throat> you know yeah. if you've got like the newest cadillac and it yeah. looks cool and you drive and you look cool driving like man i want to get one of those yeah that that's sort of okay but if it's another thing if it's some crazy you may, you remember there was a drug that they were selling for a while they were advertising that was a supplement to your current antidepressant oh that was like ambilify or something like yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah one yeah. of those was that the one with the cloud the <clears throat> cartoon cloud that was following the guy i think it was cuz if you have a cartoon cloud following you yeah. you got some serious problems but there's something fucked up about advertising for something that's a drug that can affect your mind and possibly cause suicidal thoughts because advertising is entirely designed to coax you into buying the product. Sure. And that's a big life to say. That's like, ask your doctor about it. You shouldn't be allowed to say that. You shouldn't be allowed to say it because then every, first off, everybody's on prescription drugs. Mm -hmm. I'm not on any prescription drugs right now. I I have been, for about six months, also around the Propecia time, I was on uh, Lexapro or one of those like mild. That kills your dick too. You had a double whammy. Your dick was getting kicked and punched. Yeah, well, he's fully back. (laughs) He's back and better than ever. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Success. Um, but I was on one of those, and when I when I got off, um, 
I remember, you know, you're supposed to tell your psychiatrist or whatever because they'll wean you off it. But I was like, I didn't like the guy. And I was like, I'm just going to get off this thing. You didn't like so your psychiatrist, so you're keeping shit from him? I didn't like him. <laughs> His last name was Ruben, which is why I went to him. Oh. And then I just didn't like him. And I was like, fuck this. I'm not going to do it. But anyway, uh, I just figured, all right, I take instead of taking one a day, I'll just do one every other day and then one every three days, something like that. Mm. And it worked. I, I weaned off it. I kid you not. I swear to God, this is true. I remember when you used to turn on an old computer, like an old desktop computer, all the whirring and the buzzing and you'd hear the hard drive spinning and all yeah. that shit. I could feel that in my brain for about two weeks when I got off it. Whoa. I felt my brain actually like resetting or something, like literally a whirring. There was like, and then like little like sparks. Was this actually, when you were thinking or any time? I, I just remember I lived in New York City at the time. I remember very vividly one day I was walking down Amsterdam and I maybe a week out. And I felt my brain like just coming back on. So that shit, it does something to you. Yeah, it, it does something. And forget and the boner stuff, and you know all that. I had a, the reason I got off it actually was because one of my best friends, childhood best friends, was killed in a car accident. And uh, when I heard, I had almost no reaction. This is one of my best friends from four years old, and I just was like, I was sad, but like I didn't have a sad reaction you know yeah. like i knew it was sad but my reaction wasn't sad and then i was like all right that's it that's a it's a terrifying thing to remove the lows yeah all the lows like the lows are there to teach you yeah i mean you got to learn you, you got to learn from failure failure is important it's a, and 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 feeling bad is important it's it really is because it makes it makes you understand and appreciate the magnitude of feeling good. Like it, it draws you towards that as a better alternative. Sure, and especially as an artist, as yes. someone that that speaks and is supposed to have a full set of emotions and be able to go on stage, tell people what I think. You know, you know that's the argument with school shooters. One of the things about school shooters is a massively disproportionate amount of them are on psychments, and the idea is that they can do that. And you know, it's the, the, well, what is it for? What you know, what came first? Is it the disease, the mental illness that causes them to be able to shoot somebody in the first place, right. or is it the fact that they're on pills? Is it the fact that they're on pills because they're mentally ill? Who the fuck knows? Yeah, but. People that I know that have been on various antidepressants, SSRIs or whatever, they, they tell you that things don't bother them. Yeah. So if things don't bother them, like That's... shooting people, like the lack of empathy, like it seems to me, in my armchair psychology, you know, position, yeah. that that would, there would just be a correlation there. Well, it's always why we, we have a, a real <laughs> inability in America to talk about two things at once, that yeah. two things could be true at the same time. So like when you look at the shootings, immediately the people who are against guns will say it's about guns and the people who are for guns will say it's about mental health. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure two things could be true at the same time. Absolutely. And we have a mental health problem and we have too easy access to guns. I'm, I, you're a hunter. I'm pretty sure you're for the second amendment, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm, I believe in the second amendment. We should be able to arm ourselves, but it is still too easy to get guns, you shouldn't be able to necessarily have a, a assault rifle to plow down, you know, thirty mm -hmm. people at once. All that, um, but at the same time, yeah, a huge percentage of these people are on some sort of medication. That's not a coincidence. Not you know? at all. No. And if they didn't have something wrong with them, no matter how many guns you had access to, you're, you're a you're a relatively sane guy. No matter how many guns you have, you're not going to shoot a school, right? Yeah. 
So that says, yeah, there's some mental health component to this. Well, I think it should be really difficult to get a car, too. I mean, I think it should be get difficult to get a gun. I mean, in, in so as they should do some sort of background check. They should, they should evaluate whether or not you have any competency whatsoever. Have you, how much have you learned about shooting a gun? Yeah. And that's not the case right now. Yeah. I like, mean, the other problem is there's so many guns out there that the people that are doing this shit, like this last guy in Oregon... I think he didn't get the gun. It was his mom that got the mm-hmm. gun. I think. Same as so the guy it's like in you can get a gun, mm-hmm. even if even if you shouldn't be able to get a gun. So yeah, that is an issue. But we should make it at least more difficult. And the the mental health aspect of it is a huge problem. And to to say that it's not that it's only a gun issue is is a blind thing that people do. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think there's there's a bunch of different issues at stake here. And I think that's the case with a lot of different things. Look, I, that's one of the problems that I have with like the idea of a left and a right. Mm-hmm. I think think I have a lot of left ideas, almost all of them, you know, and then I'll have a few right ideas. I have, I'm, I'm on sort of both sides with a lot of shit. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to get into that with you because that's become like my, my home now. This is really the split on the left between what, yeah. I, what I'm calling the regressives and people that I think really stand for liberal principles. That, yes. That's all on the left. But yeah, I have some, yeah. you know, I have a lot, look, <clears throat> comedians in general, I think have hugely strong libertarian leanings. Because you want to be, I'm a firm believer that the government should have very little to do with our lives. Yes. Make sure I don't get shot, which they're not that great at that. Uh, you know, take care of the economy, keep us safe. Like that pretty much is what I think the government's role should be. That's that, it. That's about it. You know, make sure we have a good education system. The roads should be okay. You know, like pretty limited stuff. And I think usually for some reason comedians do fall on that scale. You know, Chris Rock is there, Bill Maher. There's a zillion comedians on that side of it. Um, but I've seen a massive split in mm-hmm. the left right now. And this goes to all the, the social justice warrior shit and everyone's a racist and a homophobe. And it's fucking exhausting. And it's, it's uh, well, look, you, you've had Sam Harris on a bunch of times. Yeah. Look, look what these people have done to Sam Harris. It's insane. They're just using him as a target. I, that's what I believe. I, I believe that instead of looking at his actual positions and being objective and, and saying, does he have a point? What is his point? Let's debate the point. Let's let's debate the merits of the point. Yeah. Instead, he's a guy that you can point to and say, well, he has a strong position about Islam, so he is Islamophobic. He is therefore racist, and he should be attacked and fuck that piece of shit. And I mean, I've seen the same written about Christopher Hitchens. Yep. You know, I saw some people when he died that were writing good riddance, and I made fun of this one social justice warrior because he was saying good riddance to Hitchens, but then when Osama bin Laden died, he was like, I am not going to celebrate the death of any human being. I'm like, well, this is fucking hilarious. This is, yeah. I know what you're doing. You're not thinking. You're not thinking. You're you're writing things, and this is part of the problem with social media, and I think one of the things that we're finding with this whole social, social justice warrior issue is that it's not necessarily just opinions it's opinions that are being expressed in a way where they know people are going to hear it they know people are going to see their writing and so that that knowledge that someone's going to see what you're writing and react to it either positive or negative affects your choices it's like reality tv and what they're doing is like when you see people act fake on reality TV because you know that they know the cameras are on them. Yep. That's what you're doing when you make a retarded social justice warrior tweet. You're a hundred percent right. So I know someone I can't give their name who right now is is pretty big in their reality space on a reality show right this second. I know them very well, and he says to me all the time like that's what he's doing. All he's doing is ramping it up 
to stay on the show to keep the whole thing going. Of course. And that's what these people are doing. So Sam, how many times has he been here? At least twice, right? Probably no, four, four, four or five. I four think. or five times. So you've sat with this guy for hours, right? Yeah, you probably, you probably have twenty well. hours with this guy at least. Do you, do you think he's racist in any way no, whatsoever? But he's. You know what he is? He's fearless. Yes. And, and and I'm not saying he doesn't have fear of normal consequences of you know whatever danger it's not that it's just that if he has a principle he'll express it and i've i've disagreed with him about certain points of course but his his principles and his opinions are he will truly express express them and in unpopular subjects like when you're talking about islam or you're talking about religion in general i mean he takes a tremendous amount of heat about that and but, but he only gets it for islam though right because right. that that's the truth of it like mm -hmm. this is a guy who wrote letter to a christian nation guess mm -hmm. what it was about christianity yeah nobody called him a christianophobe right so when bill maher so that night the, mm -hmm. the whole thing all hell broke loose with affleck yeah on uh on real time or and heaven I, heaven and, broke loose or, he or heaven, <laughs> right exactly uh whatever you want to call it some imaginary bullshit um that night and i know we've both talked about this a ton mm -hmm. but what happened was Affleck immediately went to the social justice warrior. I'm holier than thou. I'm mm -hmm. going to protect the downtrodden thing, right? And it was nonsense and bullshit. Sam sat there. Again, you can disagree with the premises of what he says. You can disagree with his feelings on profiling or nuclear first strike. But mm -hmm. he'll debate all of those. I sat right. with him for an hour and a half, and he would have done three hours, but our crew guys had to leave. I mean, this is a guy who will stake out these positions and unpopular positions and put them out there and they just want to shout him down. And what the, what the real thing though is, it's the chilling effect on that, is that what, it's not about shutting down Sam. If Sam disappears tomorrow, I think it would be really bad for our discourse as a country and I think this is a guy saying important shit. But ultimately, guess what? They're gonna come for Joe Rogan, they're gonna come for Dave Rubin, and they're gonna come for all the other people that are tweeting about this shit. And what they're really doing is just trying to take the moral high ground. They're trying to take Which a position horseshit. of being, like, first of all, if, if Ben Affleck had a real nuanced and objective position, he certainly didn't express it on that show. You mean, it's so racist. It's so racist. It's racist, yeah. He's a fucking idiot. Yeah. He really is a fucking idiot. You know, I don't know that I can go see that Batman movie. No. Because he, he has turned me, I love superhero movies, love them. Well, that, I, the fact that he was w willing to take that position on a show like that and argue it yes. like that without, without, I mean, first of all, I, I, I like Bill Maher. I think he's a very funny comic. That show sucks. <laughs> this is, this is why the really, show sucks. I, I like it a lot. This is I why like it sucks. It, yeah. It doesn't suck because it's a sucky show. It sucks because all these subjects are massively important and, and they have a bunch of people shouting over each other. Like here, like you and I have like very strong opinions and we want to express ourselves and there's only two of us, luckily, because <laughs> it was, if there was five of us in the room right now and we we're all talking, it would be really hard to fucking get your points across right. because you've got to kind of like jump in and, and, and this is what happens when you get a guy like Sam Harris and a guy like Ben Affleck and Ben Affleck, what you're saying is so racist, right. it's so racist. Right. Instead of having an hour to go, Okay, well, why don't you tell me why it's racist and give me your thoughts in the Middle East and tell me what you would do about, you know, X amount of people who are so entangled in their ideology that they want death upon people. They wish death upon people who leave the religion. Yeah. Tell me what you would do about that. Tell me what you do about people that think that it's wrong to have women go to school. Tell me what you would do about, we're talking about ideologies. Yeah, you we're can talking call about it Yeah, you can call ideas. it Islam, you can call it the Moonies, you can call it Scientology, you can call it whatever the fuck you want, but what it really is, is a rigid set of ideologies. It's, these are ideologies that you are 
are forced to subscribe to a predetermined pattern of behavior and thinking. And if you are not in that predetermined pattern of behavior and thinking, they wish death upon you. And they think that they should be able to stone you if you're a homosexual. They should be able to stone you if you're an adulterer. There's a horrible video online of this poor woman whose father throws the first rock. Oh, I've because, seen it. Have you seen that? Yeah, I've it's, seen it. And she wants to touch him before before he kills her and he, he won't touch her hand and then he hits her with a rock. But think about the absurdity. So there's, there's so much here, right? So <sighs> think about the absurdity of this, that the hatred for these people, the hatred for Sam, for Bill Maher, so whether mm -hmm. you like Bill Maher or not, or I like do the like show. Bill Maher. And when I say it sucks, what I, I mean know is mean, the, the those construct. formats. All those talk show formats suck. Those split screen Bill O'Reilly things where sure. Bill talks and three experts shout. We'll be right back. It's, it's not enough time. Yeah. Look, he, Bill Maher loves Bernie Sanders. Obviously, he had him on the show last week. He only had six minutes with. That's him. crazy. Six, imagine what me or you would do with that guy if he was here right now. We could we could literally talk all day. And he and should. He would, and he should. And, and that's Bill the thing. should have a show like that sure. where it's just Bill sitting down with these people and not being forced into that fucking sound bitey type of conversation because yeah. that's what they're doing well listen I love Bill but I'll do that show how about that there you so go don't, so that, okay. thank you for that you'll Bill's be, got you'll his be, own yeah, yeah, let archaic him, fucking let him that's yeah, fine. That I just think that format is like everybody thinks that everybody needs to be like fast, 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 fast. It's not the case. Well, look, I think both of us are proof that it's not the case. Yeah. I think for a long time, everything was getting smaller and smaller. The internet burst this thing. Twitter came out. We're going to talk in 140 characters. Vine came yes. out in six seconds. So everything kept getting smaller, smaller, smaller. But what I'm absolutely seeing now, we've only been doing my show in its current incarnation for two months. Sam was my first guest. This was big first week in September. And we started doing long form stuff again, exactly what you're doing here. And what I've seen is the more, the longer we go, the more we extrapolate ideas, talk about stuff, and don't scream at each other. Yes. I'm bringing on people on the right and on the left. And the more that we do this, the more people want. So I think there's a bounce back now from that short thing, you know, where everybody on television, they start, you know, and it's partly like a show that I love on ESPN, pardon the interruption, and they would have the, the <laughs> countdown going, you know, and everything had to be quick, 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 quick. But I think people are actually ready for this. And, and I think clearly, and I don't think it, I mean, that's why this is working for you. You know what I mean? People want to actually hear a couple of thoughts. Let's hear yes. two things that don't necessarily line up. And let's hear people that, I, listen, I hope that plenty of people that will be listening to this will disagree with me, will disagree with you. And at the end, we'll go, well, it's not because they're racist, but... They got some ideas that let's challenge those ideas. Well, I think the entertainment aspect of those shows where it, there's like five people in a room and, and then also you have a fucking audience that cheers when they agree. Yeah. And some <laughs> and some of them are just so lefty, so super, you know, like fucking applauding yeah. at every point. But Bill's like, good because he shuts yeah, up his own audience, which how many how, how, I've literally seen him do stand up yeah. where he's yelled at the audience for giving him applause breaks. I mean, how many times have you ever seen that in a comedy show? That, that's pretty good. Yeah. And during his show, he does do that when yeah. people chime in. And he, but I, I just think that the entertainment aspect of, of expressing yourself almost sometimes takes precedent over the concepts and the ideas themselves because yeah. it's all in how you deliver it and how forcefully you can get it past the other people that are trying to say contrary points. So the, the Ben Affleck thing is the perfect example yes. of that because by yelling out gross and racist within a minute, right? So think about, it, it's pretty much the worst thing you can say about somebody, right? To call them racist. That's yeah. pretty, you know, beyond you're a child molester or something, it's, it's pretty much the worst thing you can say. Think about if you were having an argument with somebody about about this stuff. Let's say you were privately arguing with someone about Islam and religion and blah, blah, blah. It would take a while for you to call them racist, right? 
Like it, you wouldn't. You would have it to would, go it would deep take into more, it. You'd have would, to go pretty deep by the time that you personally got there to that place where you were, were to say you're racist. I don't think I would even. I would probably say that idea is racist right. before so that, I would even say you're racist because I, I got to think that like when, when some people will say, "Well, I have black friends." Well, what do you like about black people? You know, like you go into that for, and at the end of it, well, they smell different. And, uh, <laughs> I like the, I like to be around people that are dumber than me. Okay, you're a fucking racist. Now you're a racist. Yeah, you right. know what I mean. Like, but but that illustrates your point perfectly. That the problem with these shows and the problem with this discussion and problem with social justice, it's all a, like a perfect storm of craziness. Because the next day after that show, all the online sites, Mediate, everybody, the headlines were all. Ben Affleck calls Bill Maher and Sam Harris racist. So suddenly the onus was on them to prove that they're not racist. Exactly. That is not only is that bonkers, but I asked Sam about this and he he said something that I thought was fascinating. He was on that show to discuss his book called Waking Up, which is a spiritual guide to uh, it's a guide to spirituality without religion. So he's talking about meditation. He's talking about inner peace. I've read the book, you know, like some pretty lofty stuff. He said from that point forward, the next six months of my life. We're on a book tour about inner peace, but all I had to do is defend myself that I'm not a racist. I mean, really, <laughs> think how cosmically warped that is. Well, and it came from, I believe, Ben Affleck wanting to state a position that he felt would be very popular and would resonate and would get him social brownie points. Yeah, just I really social believe brownie that. points. Because it's the, it, what, he did, what he said, the way he expressed himself, it's not nuanced, it's not objective, it's not complex and well thought out, and this is a very, very deep and important subject, a yeah. massively important subject. Because what we're talking about in 2015, when you're talking about any ancient religion, you're talking about clinging to these ideas that were formed formed and ingrained in these communities well before science, well before people had a deep understanding of human psychology, of human nature, of the power of suggestion and, and culture, and well before we understood the way the world actually works as far as like as far as nature, as far as physics, as far as just the formation of the universe, all this information is not applicable to most of the religions in the world today. Not only are you right, but that's even what Sam wrote in exactly. End of Faith. Right. That and Batman nothing, tripped him up. And fucking Batman. Before the movie even came out. Ugh. The new Batman. Like, think how insane that is. If you really step back and dissect what you just said there, that if you took what the average person thought of the world and of science and of medicine yeah. and everything that we know of and food and everything in 1840, by that standard now in 2015, that person would look pretty damn dumb. Right. Yet for some reason, these books that were written- you Thousands know, of years Thousands, ago. whatever it is, somehow those have some validity that we should still respect. We shouldn't respect these books. They're ideas. They're ideas that time has long since let go of. So by respecting them, we're actually doing something crazy. If we, want, if we really want to be free, if we want to be free thinkers and, and people that, I don't, I don't give a fuck about anyone's race or religion or sex or sexuality. I judge people on what they say and what they think. And what the social justice warriors are doing they're trying to win this argument by shutting everybody down. Yes. And they, they're doing it. I think there is a degree of them doing it for lofty reasons. I think Ben Affleck thinks in his lofty, rich Hollywood, whatever, that he's helping the downtrodden. I think there's something. I some don't think he does. You, really? No, I'm, I'm so you think entirely it's pure... cynical. You know why? Yeah. Because I know too many actors and I know what they are. You know, here's, here's the thing about actors, and this is not all actors, obviously, just like you know, not all comics are heroin addicts and drug addicts and whatever. Yeah. I think that what it is to be an actor is to pretend to be something else, right? That's that's what it is. And yeah. it's also you have to get 
past the audition process. And the audition process is essentially saying all the right things. So, Dave, where are you from? Like, where'd you grow up? And you have to, like, you know, who are you voting for? This Like, there's there's that shit. There's a reason why Hollywood leans almost entirely left. Right. Do you think they because, really do? Because I think a lot of them are secretly voting Republican. Well, there's sure. Certain, they're there's voting on few, taxes, right? You know, you got your Charleston Hestons and your fucking, you know, there's there's a few John Voights out there. Yeah. And the guy from, uh, the, what was it? We'll be back in two and two. What the oh, fuck's his Chuck name? Willery. Chuck Willery yeah, is he's like hardcore. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. follow him on Twitter just to laugh at all the fucking Republican shit that he writes. Yeah. There's, there's always going to be a few Hollywood conservatives. Obviously, Chuck Willery is not in any big movies yeah. or anything like that. But there, there is always going to be a few conservatives in Hollywood. But yeah. the casting people, the, the producers, the executives, overwhelmingly left-leaning. Yeah. And to be in that club, you have to agree with them. And there's a problem with that whole audition process when it comes to actors. You can't work unless someone approves you. Unless someone takes you in and accepts you mm -hmm. and chooses you. Dave, you're the right guy for the part. Yes. Yeah, now and, you're, yeah. And you can't say anything controversial that will fuck that up. And then you're essentially like you're on a dating program for the world. Not not dating like you're trying to get laid, but like you're trying to get the world to love you. Yeah. So when a guy like Ben Affleck, who's been doing this his whole life, gets on that show and someone says something that he thinks I can get in here and make some fucking points. I can get some social brownie points up on the board. I think that's racist. You're racist and this is gross. He's just like a guy at an audition. He's full of shit. You know what, Rogan? I'm going to prove to you right now that I uh, I don't just say shit, but I believe it because you've changed my mind. That argument was good enough that you've changed my mind, that I do agree that he wasn't doing it out of some lofty thing, that it's purely that. I I, I'm will I, There might be a, you know, maybe we can split hairs a little bit and it's 80-20 or whatever, but I think that actually does make more sense. And it also, it, it explains why it happened within a minute because mm -hmm. he was ready for it to happen before the segment even yes. started. So and I, yeah, I, I'll go with that. I think there are also sociopaths that get involved in philanthropic ventures to make themselves look good. Oh, sure. I, I absolutely 100% believe that some people do some philanthropic shit so that it makes them look better. And, and, and this, is, this is like sort of to mask the, the psychosis that bubbles below the surface of their skin that they're trying to hide from people. Like, you can't go after me. I work with the firefighters. You know, I support the first responders, you, you responders. You know, I'm down with the firefighters. You can't call me a plagiarist. Yeah. But you can't, like, like Sandusky. Like, look, 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 look what, he's what doing. he was doing. Working with little kids, helping all these little kids. Well, surely that guy's not fucking them. Yeah. How could he do that? He loves the children. I mean, that that is the kind of shit that happens with a lot of evil people. So this is interesting. So for comics, then it really is particularly bizarre because there's the approval thing, right? And comics want approval just the same way actors do. Mm -hmm. But comics are also the good ones, and unfortunately there's not many of us left, that you're supposed to stake out controversial positions. Yeah. So that goes against the sort of mass approval thing. But it doesn't in comedy. But but right it, now, is counterculture cool right now? Does, does any, Is there any comic, there's a couple people, I guess, that are doing some counterculture stuff okay, that well, are define, getting cred for Define it. counterculture. Well, counterculture that you'd be, you'd be really against the government, you'd be against the administration, you know, you'd be fighting more for some of the things that I think we're doing with the social justice warrior stuff, fighting for free speech relentlessly, um, fighting against bad ideas. So you could be fighting against the ideas of Islam without being racist or right. not even a race, but without even being without being bigoted towards Muslim people. Like right now, I think partially because of Obama, it's cool to like the president. 
You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Just by his, by be, he's black, he's cool. I'd love to play basketball with him. I'm sure he'd be fun to have a drink with. So it's cool to like the power right now. So in a weird way, I think if we have a Republican president next time, comedy is going to get a lot better real quick because it's going to be a lot easier to attack. But is it cool to like him if you look at the facts? Is it cool to like him when you look, look at the way he's attacked whistleblowers? No, is but nobody's cool talking like, about that. That's yeah, my point. People are. There's plenty of people are. They are in podcasts. Yeah? Yeah. You know, I know a lot of really smart people that are attacking it. You All know, right. Well, guys, that, that's, guys like that's Duncan hard Tru- Trussell, Duncan Trussell, Kurt Metzger. I know a lot of like very smart comics that just think it's, it's fucking gross that you've got a guy that's killed more innocent people with drones or been responsible to, for being the lead, the commander in chief of the greatest army the world has ever known that yeah. has caused thousands of people to die innocently through drone strikes you know that they, like they're shooting at cell phones they're shooting missiles at where a cell phone is and that's what that's what metadata is look we just blew up that hospital yes i mean we yeah. blew up that hospital and you know <sighs> we could get into a, we yeah, get into we a whole could, thing about the about yeah. the middle east but like there, there's terrible shit the, the whistleblower thing i think is is a good spot yeah because did you hear edward snowden on um on neil degrasse tyson's show no i didn't you should listen to it it's amazing okay it's great but Please go on. Yeah, I mean, look, that's what Obama's doing right now. Mm-hmm. That's what he's doing. There's a reason that Obama, you know, a lot of people on the left, the progressives, when Obama got in, immediately were like, you know, he has to try, you know, Cheney for war crimes and blah, blah, blah. And there's a reason why he didn't that wasn't just about power. It was also because he's killing a lot of people with drones right now. And 20 years from now, he doesn't want that president, President Willow Smith or whoever it's going to be, to come in and be Willow like- Willow Smith? Is that like Jade? Jada Jade, that's Pinkett the sister. Smith? Isn't really? that the sister? Is she going to win? Probably. Hmm. Maybe. Uh, I guess Jaden probably would be the president first or I don't know. But like whoever it's going to be in 20, it's going to be one of them. You know, I might vote for Will. How about that? You'd vote for Will? I might vote for Will Smith. Yeah? Is I, he running? I don't know, but he's a smart motherfucker, and I, I like I like when I listen to him talk. Yeah, I think he's a balanced and intelligent guy that expresses himself very well. He's extremely well read. But is he, he a, is he a Scientologist? Uh, I don't think he's a Scientologist, but I think he's dabbled. So is Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. Hey, look, I bought Dianetics. I bought it on, online, not even online. Um, I, I got it from one of those uh, late night infomercials in 1994 when I first moved to Hollywood. Oh, I remember those commercials were yeah, on all the time in the middle of the night. Yeah. I, meanwhile, I'm in the middle of Lawrence Wright's Going Clear. Uh-huh. Holy, I can't read it for too long, man. I go to other books because I read it for like a few chapters and I go, fuck this. Because yeah. it's so crazy. Well, did you I watch the down. thing on HBO? Yes. Yeah, I watched, I watched it. I started the book first, then I watched the thing on HBO, and then I keep going back at the book, but I haven't finished it. It's got... It's got like probably I'm probably halfway in, but I, I I I can't. You know what's weird about Kindles? You don't see that you're halfway in. Like you see numbers. Like I like I like a thickness thing uh-huh. where like I'm down to the bottom. I got like a very thin remainder. You know, there's an end game. Yes. Yeah. But even the numbers on that doesn't mean anything to me. Those numbers at the bottom that show, you know, you're on page 100 or 500 pages. Mm, that's not it's not registering. How do you how do you decide as someone in this space? how much information to put in your brain. Because that's one of the things that I do. Huge problem. Yeah, I I struggle with this all the time because I love politics and I I told you I've been going to the spin rooms. We can talk Mm -hmm. about some politics stuff later. Um, And I love all that stuff and I love current events and I love Mideast politics and I love talking about religion, all of this shit. Like I love all of it. That's that's what I'm here for, right? On, On this earth, that's what I'm here for. But I do find sometimes... I can't, there's just too much coming into my brain. Yes. And then when you have my, you know, sitting on the uh, couch and I'm watching Seinfeld, which I should be, should be the time that I can shut my brain down, right? An episode that I've seen 150 times before that I know every line coming out. 
and I have my iPad and I have my iPhone oh. and my laptop's there <laughs> and I'm doing this and it's like it's like minority report from hell you know oh. and I really struggle with that like shutting it down sometimes and you know I'm not even just talking about the devices but just actually the stuff that mm-hmm. you're putting in your brain yeah. all the time and you got to know your shit you know it's tough well uh, fortunately I don't necessarily really have to know my shit because, no, but you know your shit. But I, I, all I have to do is say I'm not sure about that, and I'm okay because I'm a comedian. Right. Like, <laughs> right? We I don't, do, yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, if, like, especially in these sort of conversations, like you and I, we exchange some emails about some stuff that'd be cool to talk about. But yeah. we don't have a format. Obviously, we're all over the place. We're gay discos and yeah. Ben Affleck's a douche, and you know, <laughs> right. Bill Maher's formats are antiquated, and right. you know, there's. You can only have so much information in, in your head and this yeah. is part of the problem that I have with this going clear book Why I keep going to it and then going to other shit? It's because I feel like why am I fucking reading so much about this sociopath? Fucking nightmare crazy cult leader dude yeah. that 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 has formed this insane religion because I, I can't Part of me can't put it down part of me I start reading about all the crazy shit that he did and how nutty this guy really was and how many people followed his wacky ideas? It's just like it becomes fascinating. You could be talking about Scientology or any religion. I could, yeah. You know, some wacky guy with some crazy ideas that thought somebody was talking to him. Next thing you know, yeah, followers well and a lot of cash. Well, there's, you know, obviously there's different ones, and some of them, their followers, like like Mormons, are like notoriously nice people. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, that was one of the weirdest religions because they're so nice, but then like. If you go to Islam, Muhammad was a warlord. Yeah. And it's you've got a very different type of religion when, first of all, you're dealing with the environment that these people live in is extremely hostile. Mm-hmm. As far as like the, the temperature is extremely hot. The, 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 the battle for natural resources is very difficult. Yeah. And you're also dealing with the cradle of civilization. And I have this bit about Islam that never really came to fruition, but the not even Islam, but the Middle East rather, but that the Middle East is essentially like they're the townies of the world <laughs> because that's where culture was created. Yeah. And everybody, look, human beings were created in Africa. That's where the first human beings came from yeah. how, by however method, whether you believe in evolution. Yeah, there's or an alien in, that dropped some shit. Yeah, I saw that Prometheus. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fucking terrible. <laughs> it's not that good. I watched it the other day. I wanted it to be good. <laughs> I wanted it to be good. I wa- I watched the beginning again, you know, with the with the guy and he yeah. comes down and he splits the thing and, and yeah. I was like, what is what? What happened here? Yeah. The idea is that he seeded the world with his DNA and then he knew somehow or another it would develop into human beings. But why did Charlize Theron not move a little to the left when the thing was falling? Remember the end? Oh yeah. The, there's the giant ship and it's yeah. falling and all she has to do, she's running straight and the ship's falling this way and it's slow. Real slow. Yeah. All she had to do was go a little Panic slow. attack. She just freaked. She, she freaked fr- out. She locked. All right. She panicked. I don't know. This is, we could get into that all no. day. She made up for it in uh, Mad Max. Yeah. Because that was awesome. Um, what was my point? What the fuck were, were going uh, on? I took you somewhere there. <laughs> Prometheus, beginning of the world, Mesopotamia, oh, everyone's from there. But human beings yeah. you know, came from this, I mean, the, 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 the most ancient version of a human being. Like they, I think they think that we're in this current form. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they're thinking it's like 250,000 plus years, right? So whatever that was, at one point in time, they left Africa, and a lot of them settled in the Middle East. Egypt, of course, is a part of Africa, but it is in the Middle East officially. And, and they spread out all throughout the country. But the, the oldest, what we know today, as far as we know, the oldest written language, the oldest uh, 
uh, agriculture, the oldest government structure was Sumer, and that's where Iraq is. You know, you're dealing with like six thousand plus years ago. Mm-hmm. That's that's Iraq. I mean, that is the that's that's the cradle of civilization. It's a fucking shithole, a crazy, wacky, fucked up civil war. The Muslims are fighting the Muslims. The Shiites and the Sunnis are blowing each other up on roadside bombs, and it's it's chaos. It's chaos, and when you get to these parts of the world that are amongst the most ancient cultures, you have what I call the echoes of savages. Because like the, 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 the culture has lasted for so long and the reverberations of these ancient ideas that have been long disproven and mm-hmm. long, they, they're still there. They're, they're permeated. Look, that's why the Middle East especially, we could also talk about Israel-Palestine if you want. All of it is such a clusterfuck because... So you could take someone like Sam who will talk about it from the religious part, right? And he'll mostly blame religion. And then you can take a lot of my friends on the left and they say it's all geopolitics and they usually blame the United States. The truth is, and as I said before, we have to have two thoughts at once. And I know it's very hard for people to be able to do that. It's both. It is both in the most extreme ways. Look, first off, Iraq and Syria right now are not even countries. By any estimation of what a functioning country is that would partake in, in the world thing. Right. Nor is Libya. Libya is not. And look, we did. Yeah. So think about Libya for a second. Obama did that. No congressional authorization, right? Everyone goes crazy on Bush about Iraq. Now, obviously, in retrospect, the Iraq war is pretty bad and you can clearly make a line to it led to ISIS, which then has now destabilized the whole thing. But he at least had congressional authorization. Now, maybe he lied or we know now know that they were planting evidence and all that. But Obama went into Libya right when he became president with no congressional authorization. I have no idea what's going on in Libya right now. Is it a, is it a country? Have you seen uh, Bourdain's show on it? The CNN show? Uh, I, I don't think... I, has there been a Libya one? Yeah. I was just watching it last night about uh, Ethiopia. Yeah. That show's amazing, yeah, by he's, the way. Yeah, he's amazing. But, you know, it's the, the, it, was, it was shit when Gaddafi was running it, yep. obviously. It was a horrible, horrible place, and he was a terrible, evil dictator. But when you remove a dictator... You create a vacuum, yep. and that vacuum gets sucked up by people that want to try to claim power. Yeah. Well, and- this is this is the strange thing about the neocons, right? So neocons believe that we should use our American power to either nation build or, you know, at, look, I know everyone on the left will say, well, they're doing it because we want their natural resources. Like, it's again, it's one of these things that there's a zillion reasons why everyone wants some piece of that part of the world. Um, but people will say, well, Iraq was better off with Saddam. He was doing horrible things to his people. He was using mustard gas on the on the Kurds, right? I think it was the Kurds. Yeah. Um, so we've we've helped. We backed leaders. Mubarak in Egypt was our guy. We backed him. Then they overthrew him. Then we backed the Muslim Brotherhood. Then they overthrew them. Now we're backing another Mubarak guy. Like we just do, our policies are all crazy. It's all military industrial complex, and it's just this endless cycle of craziness over there. I mean, you can't get any crazier than having a guy like Dick Cheney as the vice president, who is the CEO of Halbert, <laughs> yeah. and a company that build, rebuilds places that we blow up. It sounds like a Schwarzenegger movie, <laughs> right? Like he's the bad guy in a Schwarzenegger exactly. movie from the 80s or the bad guy in Rambo. I mean, it's it well, really, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's so almost funny. so obvious, and that's why we can't believe it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they're showing it to us. Exactly. Here's what it is, guys. No big deal. Halliburton, by the way, they're doing a lot of shit in Iraq right now. You think it's a coincidence? Not only that, they got no bid contracts. No, nope, we yeah. have to bid. We have to bid. They didn't have other people competing. What do we do? What do we do? 
What do we do? We hope that information and the, the distribution of information that's available today that was barely available when Bush, Bush was in office. Yeah. And we hope that the spread of that and the understanding of that will balance out all this shit. And I'm hoping that that's the case with social justice warriors. I'm hoping that's the case with these right wing fucking fanatics that want to blow up and bomb and invade everything that doesn't believe in Jesus. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm hoping that all that stuff gets balanced out because I think the amount of change that we've experienced in our lifetime is is unprecedented. Yeah. Cultural change, um, informational change has been the big one. The the in, the invention of the internet, I, fur, I fully believe that when we go back and historians look at this point in time, they, they see it as an explosion of change, like a, a veritable explosion of ideas and of the ability to express themselves. And your show represents that. Your your podcast represents that. You don't have anybody telling you what to do. Yeah. You could talk about whatever you want. We there's no there's no studio execs are coming to go, stop, Dave. We got to get off this subject. Dave, you can't talk about Ben Affleck. We're doing a film with Ben. One of our subsidiaries is very upset with this and that and that. Yeah. You know, the affiliates are calling in right now. They want to cancel our program. We're going to have to figure out a way to do this better. You said some bad things about Abilify, yeah. and Abilify <laughs> is one of our new sponsors. And you should ask your doctor about it because maybe you need it. Yeah, and then my cloud gets even bigger that's hanging <laughs> over me all the time. It's really it's I work. think, But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. But do you think we've gotten to a, a breaking point with that? Because I think one of, the, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this with you and I've been harassing you to come on my show forever is because I see the things that we're talking about and our audiences are so interlaced, right? And I really, really believe it has a lot to do with the Sam thing, but I think there's been... We're close to the tipping point of, of defeating the social justice warriors. I really think well, it's Well, they're close. eating themselves. They're, they're, right. Well, because that, because identity politics ultimately has to eat itself. That's, that's the fatal flaw. So that they'll take someone like Bernie Sanders, who stands for every fucking progressive principle known to man. He doesn't want money in politics. He's everything that the left wants. And what, what happens? He has Black Lives Matter people grabbing the mic away from him a month ago, <laughs> screaming he doesn't care enough about Black lives when when there's no reason to believe that but if but if you parse everyone down to their one issue so if you say that these people are only going to care about black lives matter and these people are only going to care about abortion and these people are only going to care about islam or whatever it is you have ultimately you're go, you're just a group of people who ultimately have interests that have nothing to do with each other and you're going to destroy each other and that's why i think the reaction to this is so good and so powerful, and I think it's it's real. It's happening right now. I could feel it. Well, when that Black Lives Matter thing happened, those girls were screaming, and then he was saying, "We're going to give them the microphone afterwards." Like, what? That is not how you get to express yourself. That's not how you do it. You don't interrupt and decide that your message is more important than their message. Yeah, and of course, at and the same time, in their time, format, yeah. in their place, with Look, their microphone. At the same time, what did they probably end up doing? I don't have any empirical evidence on know. this, but they probably ended up strengthening the people that don't like them. You see what this what this is doing? You know, so there, there's so much to it, but that's why I really, I think the social justice warrior thing, and it has a lot, the Sam thing, in the way that they treated him, I'm talking about, you know, Glenn Greenwald and Reza and my former boss, Jank, who I know you've had on here, the way these people treated him and this dishonest attack on ideas that it came from the left. We're supposed to debate ideas, right? Mm -hmm. We're on the left. Right. So what, are, what does liberalism stand for? We believe in the debate of ideas. You could say the people on the right, well, they're more dogmatic. They're more religious. They don't want to debate ideas. So I can't deal with those people. The, the right went off the deep end a long time ago. What I have to care about as someone that's on the left and that believes in liberal principles and doesn't want to see gays thrown off the roof in Syria and all of that shit, 
doesn't mean I want to invade Syria. It doesn't mean I want to nation build. But I should be able to talk about that without being called a racist or whatever it is. And, and I think we've, we've hit something here. I think one of the things that we've hit is there are people that are balanced and that are socially aware and that are fun and interesting to talk to. And then there's social retards. <laughs> and social retards that form on the left... They tend to be unbelievably aggressive and douchey about really good ideas. Yeah. Like whether it's Black Lives Matter or whether it's supporting gay rights or whether it's transgender rights or any of the, the ideas that I'm sure you and I could both agree with. Mm -hmm. what, the, what they're doing and the way they're doing it is they found something that gives them the green light to be an asshole. And one of the things they're doing in being an asshole is they're making up for being picked on. They're making up for being rejected. They're making up for the abuse that they've suffered at other people's hands that have caused them to have this unbalanced social persona and that's what it's all about it's about social retards with really good points yeah I mean yeah you're on it so you could use the gay rights thing as a great example of that so you know look we didn't have gay marriage until officially it was June 26 happened to be my birthday uh, congratulations thank you on your I birthday got, on my on my birthday the Kapow. Supreme Court said you I, have to feel I wasn't good. you know I was engaged already at the time but I kind of like the idea of getting gay married when it wasn't fully legal, because then I thought I'd be like running from the law or something like that. Had some sort of bad. <laughs> You're gonna be a rebel. Yeah, I was gonna be like hunting a guy with one arm. You know, who killed my wife? None of it made sense, but I had this idea of something in my head. But anyway, if you take that that movement, look, it happened pretty damn quick. I know gay people have wanted rights for a long time, but if you take the last five years, the way this thing has evolved, and now it's cool. Look, you're yeah. you're a straight uh, white man. Pretty much the worst thing there is, right? I mean, that's that's what I hear. Yeah, you're just awful. Even sitting here I'm with a terrible you, terrible person. Been, it's been you know very grating for me. But uh, if you look at the gay rights thing, the left was all about it, and I and they they love gays. They love gays. They love gays. But at the end of the day, now gays have equal rights. Now I know there's still job issues and there's some stuff. But well, we got, how about that fucking lady in Kentucky that? Yeah. Oh, we can. You know, we'll, we'll, we can Kim get Davis. Her. Right. So there's still all kinds of shit. I, I yes. don't. Mean, I don't mean to right. say that everything's perfect. There's now. resistance. But for, the point for sure. is, the Supreme Court, the law of the land, now is equal in terms of marriage. Yes. But what I realized, sort of halfway through that, was it's not that the left really cares about gays as much as sort of this idea sort of of what you're talking about. Because at the end of the day, now that gay people have equality, well, guess what? Suddenly gay people might start voting Republican because they might want to vote on taxes. They might, right. they might, you know, so the identity politics thing is only good for a little while. And then once everyone's equal, it's, it's just... It's just a way of pitting people against each other. Yeah. Then you really just become a fat person with pink hair. Yeah. That's all you are. <laughs> you know, you're, right. you're not this amazing person with this moral high ground that stands above and gets to proclaim how they've been fighting for rights and screaming and yelling and crying. You're screaming and yelling and crying because you're socially retarded. Because why are these people, by the way, why are they all anonymous? If they're so lofty in their- There's uh, plenty of them. I, no, no, no. I mean, I know there's public ones, yeah. uh, but I'm not talking about them. But I mean, the people that'll be yelling at me over some social justice shit. What? But they're, they're so on the lofty. right as well, they're though. So, oh, yeah. But that's what I mean. I'm not defending. I think people sort of think that it, somehow I'm defending the right. Mm-hmm. There is nothing I agree with these people on. You know what I mean? I have to clean my house, and my house is on the left. So I want the left to be better. I fully believe now that the regressives, which is what the progressives have become, because their ideas are now regressive, not progressive, that they are the Tea Party of the left. Mm -hmm. And if the Republicans, if the average conservative, whether you agree with them or not, 
five years ago when the Tea Party was gaining strength and, and we're not going to negotiate with anyone and government shutdowns and all that, if the average conservative had said, these are our principles, whether you agree or not, we believe in limited government, all of that stuff, low taxes, whatever, strong defense, if they would have said that, they might have been able to reel the Tea Party in a little bit. But instead, they just went to their worst, the worst piece of them. And mm. I see it happening with us on the left. And that's why I'm so against the regressive left. We got to bring them back because otherwise we're going to have the regressive left and we're going to have the Tea Party. And guess what? The, the gig is up. Yeah, I, I agree. But I think that is it's what you find in the universe. You find this extremely broad range. You find a spectrum. And in that spectrum, you have completely psychotic on one side <laughs> and completely psychotic so on the other side. So it's that horseshoe thing, right? Yeah. And then at the end, they're the same. Yeah. And then uh, this, it, it really is. I mean, and then there's, there's a balance. And I think that a lot of, I, I think a lot of us, given different circumstances, could be swayed to have different points of view and different ideas. And I, I'm also pulled. Uh, not in a sense like logically, but I find myself compelled when I see people that are really religious. When I listen to like some Muslim guy that's, that's speaking with great confidence mm -hmm. about the power of Islam and the truth of Islam, I find myself compelled. I don't believe it. I don't. I don't support it as an ideology. But I'm fascinated by the natural human yeah. compulsion to want to join that. The natural human, like there's something about someone who is unbelievably confident in what they're doing is the right thing and is is proclaiming it publicly and loudly through a microphone that makes you go, wow, maybe he's right. Islam yeah. is the truth. And kind of like cheering. Hitler. Kind of yes, like Hitler. Exactly like Hitler. Yeah, but that's, but that's it's, why it's we- It's a human nature thing. It, it is human nature. And look, if if- that's why they attract all these people. Mm -hmm. there, there's no doubt that that's what's going on here. And what we have to do, I, listen, I don't know what's going on in the universe, in the scheme of, I, I have no freaking idea. But that doesn't, that's fertile ground for someone having to make that leap of faith and being like, yeah. I don't have any idea. So yeah, just, it's the 10, I'm going to follow the 10 commandments. I mean, I'm pretty much, I don't believe in religion in any way whatsoever. But I get if we were to have the Ten Commandments here, I'm probably sure I'm pretty much following them because they're just basic. I don't kill people. I don't covet my neighbor's wife. Uh, that's a gay thing. But, you know, like that was actually a, a property thing, you know. Oh, yeah. The neighbor's it, wife course. was his property you, by coveting me, like, taking her. Yeah. But it, but I mean, the point is that you can live your life as I think both of us do and probably most yeah. of your listeners do. By it. You can have a set of principles that has nothing to do with religion. And which is what waking up is about. Yeah, that's exactly what waking up is about. And that's that's the crazy part of what the left is doing here. You know, there's this onslaught against new atheists. Mm -hmm. So against Sam and Richard Dawkins and uh, and Hitchens, even though he's not around anymore. And I didn't know what new atheists were even. So I started asking some people and my friend Kyle said he said, I think it's just an atheist who's finally saying I'm here. Because for a long time, atheists wouldn't even say that they were here. And now you have the far left is the ones that are attacking atheists. Isn't it supposed to be the far right attacking the people who don't want anything to do with religion? It's it's incredibly warped. Yeah, it is incredibly warped. And it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And there was a real, really recent, um, have you seen Sam Harris's, uh, there's something I tweeted a few days ago. Uh, Sam Harris on it's on something called secular talk. It's on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. so Kyle is the guy yes. So Kyle that I just uh, He's the friend that said to me about the new atheist thing. Yeah. yeah, so they picked up basically where our conversation Ended because when I did that and then you can play a clip. No, no, no I'm not oh. but I was gonna say that Sam Snap he snapped. 
I wouldn't say snap, but by his, he expressed. Yeah, he said snapped. Yeah, that's how he described it too. But he expressed himself about what's really going on with these people, whether it's Greenwald or I'll, I'll let him, you know, pick who it was yeah. and what it. But if you listen to it, it's the the thing the the the. Uh, channel on YouTube is called Secular Talk, yeah. and the title of it is Sam Harris on Progressivism, Torture, Religion, and Foreign Policy. It's fucking fantastic because he's so elegant, so eloquent, elegant as well, yeah. but eloquent, and he just nails it perfectly. He but expressed it, what's going on. So is that the inherent problem then? Because what I see when I did my sit down with Sam, I laid it out very clearly. I said to him, Sam, let's take the five things that people misquote you about the most, and let's make it very YouTube friendly so that when these crazy people are screaming about you, anyone on Twitter can be like, here's a link, give it five minutes. So we did it. And he laid out uh, you know, the profiling. He laid out the nuclear first strike. He laid out all Muslims uh, versus Islam. You know, all the, Islam is the mother load of bad ideas, which he did backtrack a little bit. Because mm-hmm. again, it's about, it's about ideas, not the slanders, right? right? So that's how we laid it out. And then, we, and then we did the whole thing. And I felt when I was done with that sit down, again, this was my first episode of my show. I was like, I'm done with this topic. I, I felt I had added a little something to this. I had helped the discourse a little bit. And then suddenly, right after that, they all were worse. All of them. <laughs> Glenn, Reza, Jenk, they all doubled down. Literally, Glenn retweeted a misquote from our interview that, that Sam said it was something about Sam mentions profiling and he's talking about Jerry Seinfeld. He's talking about Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian Jerry Seinfeld, should not be profiled. That this is a guy who should be able to walk right through because it's a silly use of resources yes. to have... Glenn retweets something where they said people who look like Jerry Seinfeld. Completely not what he said. Well, first of all, Jerry Seinfeld easily could be Arab. So that's ridiculous. I think, I think one of his parents is Syrian, yeah, actually. That's, that's a ridiculous thing to say. Right. So not look like him. Yeah. By the way, when Sam does the profiling, he talks about how he should be profiled. Based on his own looks? Yeah. Because, because he's, a, he's a middle-aged man. And if a, mid, you know, a middle-aged white guy, whatever, he's not even talking about the, the race in this instance. That if me or you, if me and you were right now going LAX, that we should be profiled. They should look at two guys of a certain age and whatever whatever their criteria are, not based on race or religion, but there should be some more, uh, they should look at us in a more curious way than perhaps an 80-year-old Dutch woman that's in a wheelchair. Mm, or so, right. You know, like he's trying to have smart profiling or what he calls anti-profiling. The problem with profiling really is you're getting profiled by people that are so fucking dumb they <laughs> so, work for the TSA. Right. So that, that's that's a real issue. Right. Because I read this whole thing that they give people like recognizing facial expressions like get the fuck out of here. Have you ever, you ever like paused for a minute when you're looking for something and been a fly on the wall while the TSA agents are talking to each other about what they want to eat or what this bitch Not was saying to any, me and ugh. barely paying any attention. They're just folks working a job. You know, that's what they are. They're folks, yeah. folks that got a job. Well, to that point, I mean, look, if we really wanted to profile in the, in the way that profiling should be done, then you have to do it the way the Israelis do it, which is that you're, they have cameras on everybody watching every bit of body language and every bit of nuance. I mean, even I went, uh, I went to Israel, I think, in 97, 
And I, to get in, had to go in a separate room, and they asked me every question you could possibly think of. I'm a Jew from Long Island. I was profiled. You know what I mean? Like, that. Be, they're not doing it out of fun. They're not, they just don't want their planes to explode. And I had to explain something about where my bar mitzvah was. I mean, really crazy shit. But I'm pretty sure they would prefer not to have to do that. Right. And I didn't walk away going, oh, man, profiling, like, that. that's the worst thing in the world. There, there are certain things that are, these, this, is, this is a very... Difficult discussion to have because the social justice warriors make it so that even when we're talking about this now, there's this feeling that somehow I'm for profiling. I mean, I think they should just be ignored, these, these so called social justice warriors. Yeah. And I think that as time's going on, they're becoming so ridiculous that yeah, they're easy they're to They're doing ignore. it to themselves. There was a great story that I tweeted uh, a couple days ago. Um, anti-feminist speaker disinvited to uncomfortable learning, in quotes, lecture series Ugh. because she made students uncomfortable. But don't they she, have safe spaces? But for listen to this, man. The thing is called uncomfortable learning. That is this, the lecture series. Okay. And they disinvited her because she made students uncomfortable. I mean, this is fucking madness. I mean, this is exactly <laughs> what we're talking about here. Also, think how dangerous it is to do this to college kids yes. more than anything else. Because, first off, you're drugging the kids, right? <laughs> we, know, we know that they're all on Ritalin and all that shit, SSRIs right? They're, they're and... on all that. Now they go to college, mm -hmm. even the ones that aren't on that shit. They go to college. College is supposed to be where you figure out what your sort of base ideas are before you go out into the real world. If you're going to silence, you know, they, colleges, Brandeis University silenced Ion Hersey Ali. Yes. Think how, I have her on my show next week. Like, yeah. I want to go into that. Like, what insanity. You know what I mean? How like, could they? It, it, I mean, it's perverse at the highest. What is their their dispute? Well, because I think their the argument was that she doesn't like Islam, <laughs> but she was raised in it. Almost killed her yeah. coworker, Van Gogh's grandson or whatever, was killed. Yes, on the street yeah. in Holland. Yeah. Um, for a cartoon. Yeah, and she's talking about ideas again. She, and this is what Sam says all the time. We have to talk about ideas, not people. I, what other set of ideas would be we be afraid to talk about? What is going on in universities, though? Is it the students that are dictating the policy by by protesting, and is it the the professors? What, I think what? I think it's coming from the professors, partly for what you said before about Affleck. Mm -hmm. Like, there's this idea if you want to be a professor, sort of. And Gad Sad talks about this a lot because he mm -hmm. is a college professor, and I know he's had his struggles as someone that is outing this bullshit. I think he's had his professional struggles. Mm -hmm. uh, I, th I think in our interview, he talked a little bit about some exchanges he's had with other professors where they don't want to touch some of his ideas right. because of, he, not that he's talking about anything really controversial at the end of the day. They don't want to touch it, but it's because of the professor, the pr pressure rather from the students? No, I think it's it... coming first. I think it's coming first from the professors or, or even whatever's above that. I don't know if it's the administrations or even whatever is above that. Like, I don't know how high you have to go with it, but I don't think it's the kids that are doing it. I think they're being fed shit and they're being fed fear and stupidity. And then they just bounce, you know, they just sort of rally around. Well, there's it. also a real problem in, in colleges, I believe, that these people that operate in academia have only worked in, in academia yeah. and they don't really understand the real world because they, they aren't in it. Yeah. And they're in a position of power with young people. Yeah. So their ideas have incredible influence. They're standing on the stage, te teaching these lectures, teaching these classes, and they have these young, impressionable people that are listening to them. This gives them a gigantic ego boost. They have this platform and they've never competed 
competed in the real world. They've never contributed to the real world other than teaching children. Yeah. And there's a lot of them like that that have gone through the educational system and then gone from the educational system directly into teaching. And then this is their this is their universe. Yeah. This is how they exist. And these people are pretty much all part of the regressive left. I yes. mean, they are they are pretty much all part of it. So you could think here's a simple example of this. So there's a difference between debating ideas and hate speech. So let's say somebody that that hated Muslim people wanted to speak at a college and was going to talk about how we should kick them out of the country mm-hmm. or we should whatever, do right. horrible things to them. I could see absolutely protest that person. Use your right of free speech and free assembly to protest that person's ideas. Should the college not let them come? You know, if it was purely hate, I suppose. But I know that's that's a really slippery slope because everyone, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Versus you could take any of these people. Ayan Hirsi Ali, she's not against Muslim people. She's against the doctrine, these ideas. And if we can't make the distinction between hate speech and someone who wants to debate ideas, if you can't do that in college then where the hell else can you do Not that? only that, try getting some inflammatory quotes by Ayan Hirsi Ali that you could argue against that aren't le- really well thought out, that aren't articulate, that aren't based on her personal experiences growing up in this religion, her understanding of the scripture. Like, try, yeah. try, try finding some ignorant hate in that. But look, these you're guys, not going to. These guys don't want to debate ideas. It's it's really as simple as that. So at the very personal level, I can tell you, so you've had Jenk on. He was my former boss for two years at TYT. He watched the original thing with Sam and then sat down with Sam for three hours. Right. Did, did you see any yes, of that? Yes, I did. I watched the whole thing. Three hours. I watched that thing. I was working for him at the time. Literally, like my, I was like this the entire time because it, I was having a headache because I could not believe that this person that I work for, who I respect, who I play basketball with every Sunday, that he was so dense to the ideas that Sam was portraying. And at the end of it, just as I said to you before that at the end of mine, I thought I had made this conversation a little bit better. Jank only doubled down on all of this shit because they don't want to debate ideas. They want they just want Sam to be discredited so that their ideas win. And that's why we have to fight against it. Because if Sam disappears, as I said earlier, if Sam disappears tomorrow, it's not about him. It's about all the ideas that we'll all be afraid to talk about. That's why Charlie Hebdo cartoons, you should be able to, Family Guy can do whatever the fuck they want on Jesus, right? Every episode, there's a, you know, there's an episode where Jesus is bathing with porn music in the background in front of Stewie, a baby. Nobody had a problem with that. Try doing that with Mohammed. But we can't have, we can't just pick. You mm-hmm. can't pick. Say whatever the fuck you want about Judaism. Big goddamn deal. What is it with Cenk? What I mean, you you know him. I, that that was really perplexing to me because I usually feel like whether I agree with him or don't agree with him on other things, I feel like he's you know he's got an opinion. He thinks about it. He talks about it. He tries to be open minded. He's passionate about these ideas. But with that, it was so confusing to me because it was almost like he was just trying to win. Look, it he, was like he was trying to find a way to beat. Someone who is, you know, Sam is an intellectual black belt. Yeah. I mean, like a high-level world champion black belt of the the spoken word. And I think that Jenk is not at the same level as Sam when they come when it comes to debating these ideas. At one point, about twenty minutes in, Sam does lays out some basic probability stuff, mm-hmm. and Jenk just says he doesn't believe in it. I mean, that that sort of explains it right there. Like, Sam wasn't laying out. A, he was just saying, this is sort of how probability works. Right. And Jank was like, no, no, 
that, that oh no i don't i don't believe in it i i don't know and just for the record i i get no pleasure even talking about this right. because you know you know what it, you know what it's like did when, you debate Cenk or have a not, conversation with him off the air um, about this no, we didn't because it just it just never materialized. You know what I mean? A lot of times when, although I did do the main Young Turk show with him a lot, most of the time as I was on it, it was because he was out of town. So I was either filling in or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't really the forum for that. Um, and then it, it really had a lot to do with why I left because I just could not believe it. That I mean, there's there's people that have edited things where Jenk says one thing directly to Sam's face. And then days later is saying the complete reverse thing, sitting down with Reza Aslan and saying that, yeah, he means all Muslims. And it's like, you, mm. you just said to his face, you just said to his face that you know that's not what he says. And I think it's partly, it goes to that Affleck thing that he's trying to be this, he's trying to defend Muslim people that he feels are being abused and, and there's a lofty goal there somewhere. But if you use the tactics of dishonesty and slander and smearing and all that to get there, you, it's not good. It's not good. So, no, I, so I don't awful. know. I don't it's know. It's awful. But yeah. I really like him. It's what I, it fucks me up. I, I feel completely the same way. And, and actually, I, in, so when I left, I just left the thing be. And I was like, all right, that's it. You know, I left. We left on good terms. We went out to breakfast. We, we were good to go. And then he just kept on Twitter, kept lying about it, misrepresenting ideas. And pe- and tons of his own fans were turning on him. So I j- finally, after months, I was like, I can't take this anymore. I've got to do something. And I didn't know, wh- I didn't know what to do. Because you know what it's like. It's uh-huh. like, here's a friend, here's a coworker, a contemporary. Like, how do I do this in a respectful way? And finally, one night, I, I laid out like eight or 10 tweets in a row. I thought them all through first. And I was like, Jenk, here's what I think is going on. Because I needed it to be public. Mm-hmm. Because if I had just sent him an email, I, you know, he could either not respond or respond. But what does that do at the end of the day if me and him get to our mea culpa, but it's not public, right? So in a very respectful, not attacking way, I laid out some stuff. He completely ignored it. A couple of weeks went by. Finally, I did something again. Finally, he responded but then just kept doing the same shit. So I don't know what the answer is, but I but this is what Glenn's done. This is what Rez has done. I, I don't get it. I, look, these are tactics. Mm-hmm. Um, these are tactics they're using to win. Majid Nawaz, who I had on my show, who co-wrote Sam's last book, it was a discussion about Islam, called The Future of Tolerance, Islam and the Future of Tolerance. So I'm pretty sure these are people on the side of tolerance, mm-hmm. right? Um, Majid, who, by the way, has been treated worse than anybody, you know, like one of these guys that works at, at uh, the intercept for Glenn called uh, Majid a porch monkey while he was sitting next to Sam. You know oh. what I mean? Like, because, oh, you don't believe what we think you're supposed to believe as a Muslim person and you're with an atheist. You're his porch monkey. I mean, think if that came from the right, how we would rightly rea- react to that or how these guys on the left yeah. would react to that. Um so anyway, so so sadly, and that's what leaves me with such like conflict here, is that I don't think it's going to stop, and I and I think they've learned, you know, what, what's that Hitler quote? Like the bigger the lie, the more people will believe it. Mm-hmm. I think they're partly operating on that. That the opportunity cost for Sam, for you, for me, for anyone that cares about any of this to clean up the mess is is way too much for just up oh, Sam's a racist. That's that's the one. That's easy. But now I, Sam has to clean it up and it's and it's a 2-hour frustrated conversation that he had. And yeah, as you said, if you listen to it, fucking brilliant. Brilliant. It, it's a 2-hour conversation that 
is trying to balance out X amount of months of disinformation. But I think that ultimately in the long run, his ideas are more accurate. They're more like what he's saying is well thought through and his opinions are better considered. I think when you but, but when can you that say, win? Can yes. it, can that what is but with can who, that though? win with who? Win, one with you, one no, with it, me. Sure, and it right? won and it won and it look, it won to the point that I as I said before, I think there's a tipping point coming because I do think our side is getting stronger. I really do. But the amount of effort and energy he has had to put into this. And, and when you see, I think it's, there's a chilling effect when they, when people see the, I'm not talking about us, when the average person sees what has happened to this guy, again, you've sat with him for probably 20 hours, never thought he was a racist before. When the average person sees what they've done to him, it causes the average person not to want to speak about right. something. I get emails. I'm sure you get them. I got an email a couple of days ago from someone in Sweden saying, I am terrified to talk about any of this stuff. I'm terrified to talk about what's happening in my country right now, hmm. you know? And and I'm getting all emails from all over, literally all over, from Saudi Arabia and all over the place. People saying you're talking about stuff that people are afraid to talk about. I'm not doing it for any other reason other than I feel like I have to. It's not, you know what I mean? Like I feel like I'm on this road because it, it just appeared before me. It, this wasn't where I really wanted to go. Yeah, my standup was a lot about transformers and GI <laughs> Joe and stupid shit. You know, right. I, I, so I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't answer. know either. I don't know either. But I think that it, when guys like Jank do say things that are easily discredited, when you say like, "Look, you said this one thing two days ago when you were talking to Sam. Now you're saying something completely different when he's not here," that is so bad yeah. for people's perception of your ideas. It's so bad for your own credibility. Mm -hmm. It's so bad when you express opinions about other things. Like you can say something. You like as a comic, you can say things and you can joke around them, and I can know that you're joking. Right. So I can. I okay. He doesn't really believe that, and you're fucking around. But that's this. This this isn't fucking around. So you're being held to your ideas, right? Your ideas. You're held accountable for your ideas. Yeah. And when your ideas are massively inconsistent and contrary, days later, and when you you're expressing an idea that you have to know is incorrect right so that's the part that i don't understand because I don't look i either. i have fucked up we've all done fucked up things in our life we've all uh we've all lied we've all whatever i have maybe I you bro yeah <laughs> not you not you i know maybe but you, you know bro. what i mean we've we've Speak all for yourself. we've all made mistakes of course you know look brian williams made some stupid part ego mistake part whatever you want to call it about they being found, on the, no they found the, like 15 different right, and ones then they, that no, they lied about and, but but everything being equal they weren't like cataclysmic lies in the scheme of whatever you know what i mean mm -hmm. in the scheme of things they were about his little adventures that he exaggerated partly because of the media because the media wants you to be a star too right. so he has to go on the tonight show and talk about being on a helicopter when actually would Walter Cronkite have done that? Probably not. I, I don't know. Uh, well, you know, I'm, I've got a friend, Steve Renazizi, and mm -hmm. I think you know his story, yeah. the 9-11 yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think they're really similar to the Brian Williams thing and that like both original stories were actually pretty impressive and these guys doctored them up and turned them into this epic thing that ultimately cost them a shitload of credibility, if not all their credibility. With Brian Williams, he was actually in a fucking helicopter he, yeah. in Iraq. The helicopter in front of him was shot at. So, like, that's scary as fuck. You're a yeah. reporter. You're getting shot at. Yeah. You, you're hearing gunshots go off. The people in front of you are hit. That's a good story. Your helicopter had to get hit, though, because ultimately these people are full of shit. Yeah. And they have to 
exaggerate and 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 jazz it up. They don't, and because of that, you can't trust what they're saying. Right. So then that then it has that effect where you go, ah, this guy did this. Well, exactly. Now, but think about it. My actually, my point was actually the reverse of that because what I was going to say is that his his lies were little additional details. You mm-hmm. know, like a little. I'm a little cooler details. Right. What these guys have done have been to blatantly distort yes. someone's views. So but they're when talking you do about that, an opponent. That's the difference. Right. Because it's a competition between Jenk and Sam. Right. So so what do you do with that? So so what, just, what, what do you, I, I, I can't well, I I like Jenk, but I'm not turning to him for advice or ideas now. Yeah. I can't. I, I mean can't. that's when how I, I listen feel. to his when I listen to his opinions about things, I unfortunately have to take into consideration that he's been massively inconsistent about this one thing. So when when someone is caught or exposed or whatever you want to call it to have so severely misrepresented someone else's views, how are you able to separate that from the other, the rest? So let's say you like 80% of, of his views or anybody, we don't have to make it about him. How, how do you separate that? Because I, 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 at this point, I don't know how I do it at all. And I know Sam has said that about Glenn, yeah. even when it comes to the, uh, the NSA stuff. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't know what to make of that now because I know what this person is capable of. I think that's a really interesting point. It's a very interesting point. It's a very important point because I have people on this podcast all the time that I don't agree with and I want to hear their thoughts. I want to know why. Like I had this conversation with Mark Maron the other night at the comedy store and he was like, oh, why'd you have that guy on? You know, that guy's a this and he's a that. Like, Cause I want to find out what makes him tick. I want to find out what goes on his head, it goes on in his head. But there's a difference between someone I don't agree with and someone who I know is distorting the exactly. views of another person. Like changing someone's words, changing someone's intent, and and doing it for their own benefit, doing it so that they can win this yeah. ideological conversation, this argument, that that becomes a real issue, and it also becomes a real issue. Like, what if I'm having a conversation with you, and then two weeks later you distort what I say? Exactly. I don't want to do that. I don't. Exactly. I don't. I don't want to have to defend my ideas because you've mislabeled them or mis mis you know misconstrued them. You know, it's funny. It's it's also what is so cool about being in the digital space. Because as I said, people are, first off, people are clipping things. You can clip on Twitter. Here's yes. what you did. Here's what you did. And they can expose right. them. So first off, you've imp- the the people at the bottom of this that are just consuming it are now able to get their voices heard to fight the bullshit. Right. And I think that there's been a real wave with that, which is yes. incredibly inspiring to me. It's like, so different yeah. than ever before. Yeah. And look, so if someone came on here, if I come on here and I said something that was profoundly dishonest or was smearing of someone else, I would never hear the end of it. Right. And, and hopefully people would tag you on Twitter and you'd retweet the shit out of it until everybody had seen, you see what fucking Ruben did and right. whatever. I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen at the end happen. of this. But, but you do, it doesn't benefit you. Yeah. You know it doesn't benefit because you. Because you can be exposed. That's what I don't understand about these guys. How can you do this? How can you retweet memes mm-hmm. implying that Sam wants to uh, nuke the entire Middle East? When if you First off, you know his whole thing on nuking the, the first strike thing, it's at the end of End of Faith. It's about a page and a half. Mm-hmm. That's how much time he spent on this well, topic, that, and they've made it sound like this is his fucking go-to his position. Yeah, and he's he's talking about a horrific scenario where some ISIS-type civilization has control of nuclear weapons, and there's a real threat that they're going to use them on other people. Yeah, that's what he's talking about—an apocalyptic about. regime. You that's ha- what he's talking. You about. have to consider that if that's a possibility. If it's a possibility that there could be a regime like that somewhere in the world, you have to say, well, what would we do? What are the options? What could you do in that scenario? To not debate that is to like 
dig your head in the sand. Yes, and that's that's the bigger problem. Look, yeah. what do you think Barack Obama thinks on this? We have nukes right now, mm-hmm. right? We know we have nukes. We're the only country that's used nukes. Do you think that Barack Obama would only wait until we were nuked to use nukes? Probably not, right? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine. I don't know, but there's at least a discussion the public, there. Yeah, there's a discussion there, and I think that's the de- that's the deal. It's like a discussion. I think when you discredit people with with dishonest statements, when you say things that you know are not true, um, it, it becomes a huge issue. Not not like what you're talking about when you said, "Well, I'm pretty sure no one's going to find contradictory statements by me." Well, it's because there's no benefit in it. Yeah, like well, you you're like Jenk is not going to really gain points by distorting Sam's perspectives on things he is only going to gain points of people who don't actually know sam's perspective he's going to lose massively when people do listen to what sam says yeah because then you all of a sudden whatever goodwill and whatever love and appreciation people have for your ideas that's going to go out the window when they find out that your ideas have been distorted that your your points of view rather of other people's ideas have been distorted yeah i've had that happen to me on this show i, I had this show, this show with a guy that i actually like even though he did this this guy jamie kilstein and uh, uh we did I, I this know him, ancillary we story. did he's, he's a social justice warrior yeah. the yeah, whole yeah. deal yeah. i don't think he's a bad guy i really don't i like him as a human being Every time I talked to him, I enjoyed talking to him. But we did a podcast to get together, and we disagreed on a bunch of things. Then he went on his podcast and completely distorted everything that I said and changed the entire conversation to him being a victim, which is... Which is 101 for these guys. And then this guy online put together the actual conversation and Jamie's perception of the conversation, and it it was... I forget the, the, like, the... The Kilstein Delusion. It was the name of the uh, the video. And (laughs) because of that, he received so much fucking hate. And I think that made him aware of that. And he said it was like the low moment of his life. And he completely stopped doing that. And he doesn't do any of that shit anymore. And, you know, he's rebounded. And now he's happier than he's ever been before. But I think that that type of behavior is not just standard. It's It's accepted. It's almost expected. Yeah. You know, it's like what they do. And that's if you're part of that victim culture, the perpetual victim culture, that's how you do it. You 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 make it seem like people were yelling at you and there's people and they were so upset with me. And all I was doing was trying to say that women shouldn't be raped. That's not what happened. That's right. not what happened. That must have been incredibly validating for you. Right. Like because because it's personal, too. And that, that's why you can see my my body language probably when I talk about Jank. Yeah. I doesn't. I get no pleasure out of this. Well, this is not how I int- I didn't go to work for this guy and agree with so much of, you know, get money out of politics, you know, his his like core stuff. I didn't go there for my feelings ultimately to be this. Right. But but that's where we're at. So in a case like you're talking about with Jamie, it's extremely validating that you create a space based on a certain amount of principles. Someone goes against them. Your audience then calls them out. And then there's like a, a teachable moment to him. It's pretty, yes. it's pretty great. I think in that way it's great. I don't. I didn't take any pleasure in the fact that he got fucked up emotionally because of it. No, and, not that. But, I mean, but the, 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 the hate that you get 
online, especially if you're like a super sensitive person that's really trolling for love, you know, <laughs> right, and you got all your fucking lines in the water and you're trolling for love. That's yeah. what you're doing. And in saying that and even becoming this victim, you're trolling for love. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's you're trying to do. You're trying to get people to fuck Joe Rogan, fuck that transphobic, <laughs> homophobic, racist, sexist, misogynistic asshole. Like throw gotta, them all out there, that. throw them all yeah. out there. I mean, but that's what's what what's going on when someone's doing and you, you got to realize that when you distort people's perceptions or distort people's uh, positions for your own personal benefit you do yourself a horrible disservice because you now have ruined any validity any any anything that you have said in the past that may resonate with people you've ruined that because so, now you've, you've poisoned that well yeah so it can be so laid out clearly like this let's say just two of the the five things that Sam, you know, those controversial things. So the profiling thing, right? Um, are, are we belaboring this point already? No, or no, I Because I, I, I think it's so, I think there's think so are. much to it. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, but let's say, Sam would argue that because these are debatable ideas, we should debate them. So imagine if subsequently, so they do the three-hour sit-down, he and mm -hmm. Jank, and after that, instead of saying, he wants to profile Muslim people and blah, 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 and right. all that bravado and bullshit and whatever, imagine if he had said, you know, Sam and I really disagree on this. I fear that Sam's use of anti-profiling or profiling, whatever you want to call it, I fear that ultimately it will lead if, you know, for for good and you know the road to hell is paved with good intentions mm -hmm. i think that he's trying to do something good but ultimately it's going to lead to muslim people feeling persecuted feeling like the other right but if he had laid that out like that and had an intellectually honest say we believe different things here and that's okay you have, you have a pretty great place to be yes you have a pretty fucking great place to be people who who pretty much agree on most things and that we can move forward and go we disagree but when you do what he did, you've you've just you've ransacked the the playing field. Yeah. And now and now you just have burned bullshit. And that's what it's become. So that's why when you mentioned Kyle's podcast, uh, that's why Sam that's as frustrated as I've ever heard him. But as you said, it was still pretty eloquent and pretty elegant. Um, but he's pissed. He's pissed. And I think rightly so. And that's why that's why I've been so defensive over the guy, because I know it's like. Let's have this. If we can't do this now, it's only going to get worse. I have as well. I mean, I've been very defensive of him as well. And unfortunately, I have a good friend, Abby Martin, who yeah. I, I love dearly as well. But she and Sam have gone back and forth about this. And, she, you know, I think she in some ways distorts his perceptions. I mean, right? I've his, seen his I've positions. seen her distort. I, I don't know her that well, so I, I don't want to speak love her. her but She's awesome. I've seen her distort a lot of facts on air, too, yeah. about, about different things. She gets very passionate. And I think... You know, sometimes she misses the mark on certain things, but she's a very good person. And I think she's ultimately, she has all the right intentions. But, but, the, but the intentions that hell, not, the pay, the road to hell, it's paved with those fucking things. You see what I'm saying, man? Yes, it is. It, it's like with a guy like Cenk, though, I think he's his own worst enemy in that regard, because you once you start doing that, then you have to sort of double down just to tr try to figure out a more eloquent way of reestablishing your position. And when you do that, like people don't take you seriously anymore. Right. That's the problem. That's if a you, real problem. You become you, your own enemy. Yeah. You throw out that bomb of bullshit. Yeah. And now you're not going to be. There was a point. There is any time. Look, if you said something that was completely untrue or or you smeared somebody. Right. And then two weeks later. You thought it through, even mm -hmm. if you, even if you knew you were lying when you did it. But two weeks later, you were like, "Wow, I really shouldn't have done that." Like I intended to do something good there. 
Yeah. You could backtrack you, with the value that you have in your name and your fans. They would follow you back. Yeah, a couple of people would be like, fuck him. But but people would go. And if you calmly explained what happened, you could. The problem with these guys is they've gone and they kept going and kept going and kept going. Mm -hmm. That they're so off the range now. Yeah. In my view, there's nothing they could do to ever fix this situation. It's like a guy it's, saying, it's I know where I'm going, but you really don't. And then you just keep saying, I and, know where you're going. You're lost further and further <laughs> in the woods. Like, dude, you're so far from the fucking road now. You're going to have to shoot yourself and come back as a baby and live your life again. <laughs> because this, this is a disaster. What have right. created? Yeah, yeah. I just I don't know. I don't I don't know how to fix that, but I know what it is when I see it. Yeah. Well, I think this is fixing it. I, yeah. I think this is fixing it. That that's actually when I woke up this morning, and even when I went to bed last night, I, I was like in a great place because I was like I knew I wanted to have this conversation, mm -hmm. and I try. I've had it in little bites on my show, but I don't like you know. In a, not that this has really been about me because this is about some big stuff, but we're having. Yeah. A little more of a of a lofty thing here than well, I than is, I would. It is about you in a way because you're a part of this big stuff, and also when you're doing your show like the Ruben Report, what you're doing is you're expressing yourself, and you become a credible portal to these ideas and information. So it is about you in a way because it's about all of us, and it's about your credibility as that portal. Yeah, and you 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 have to defend that. That that's that's fucking look. I'm wrong about shit all the time, but if I'm wrong about shit, dude, I'm the first person to tell you I'm wrong about it because I'm horrified. If I, unless it's like some simple stupid mistake, yeah. You know? But it, when I'm when I'm making, if I make a mistake, I want to be the first guy to talk about it. I don't I don't want anybody believing anything that's not true to help my ego. So you've had Cara uh, Santa Maria on, right? yes. So yes. she's she's a good friend of mine. Worked with me at, at TYT, I love her. and I am not. Yeah, I love her too. She's fantastic. She is a science communicator. Yes. That's, that's the way she describes mm -hmm. herself. Um, I think she had something to do with this brain surgery live thing last night. Yes. That was on Nat Geo. Right? Yes. So she's doing really good stuff, and I really respect her and like her. Uh, many, I've said to my audience many times, you know, I know a lot about politics, current events, all this stuff. I'm not a science guy. Like, you know, I can understand basic stuff, but I'm not a scientist. So mm -hmm. I have to trust people that know about science to tell me things. So many times I've brought her on just to clean up messes that right. I've made. Sure. So I never go with the... Uh, I never go with the presumption to my audience that I know everything about everything. I'm going to bring on some people and look then. So when I've done things on GMOs with Kara, she, she is, uh, she firmly believes in GMOs and that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Right. Um, but I know a lot of people don't like her stance on GMOs, but I say, here's my science person. Here's what she said about this. And I'm actually trying to find someone that's a little more against GMOs now to come on and, and refute some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. We don't have, as the interviewer, as the guy on this side of it, we don't have to know everything, which is right. what you said before. That that does give us a little bit of a leash, right? Because we're sitting across from someone and we're just bouncing ideas. We're also talking about so many different subjects. You, <laughs> we, you, it's impossible to be an expert in all of them. Yeah. I guess this actually goes to your point about the, the format of real time in all these shows. Yes. That... Look at look at where we bounced here yeah. already. You know what I mean? There's only a couple areas where I feel real comfortable in saying I'm an expert. I'm an expert in stand-up comedy, and I'm an expert in martial arts. Yeah. And even in martial arts, there's there's certain aspects of martial arts where I have to defer to other experts. Yeah. You know, there's just there's too many styles. There's too many different. There's you know there's some different weird Filipinos. There's silat. There's there's d d different stick fighting styles, and like you can't know everything. You can't. Well, you can't. Not only can't know everything, but if you want to see how the thing that you consider yourself an expert in how it how it all sort of leads to one road mm -hmm. look what you did with mencia 
because you had a set of principles, right? You had a set of principles in something that you love, stand-up, right? I mean, is there anything you love more than stand-up besides wife and kids? Like, is that it? Yeah, friends, that, wife, kids, health, yeah, stand-up. Right, so but in terms yeah. of the other things, like stand-up's yeah, right all there. All those things, yeah. And, and, and what you did with Mencia, which I'm sure you've talked about a bajillion times already, uh, do you remember we met once, actually? Yeah, uh, where do we meet? We, we met at the Young Turks. You were going on to oh, do- Oh, that's right. You, that's we were going right. on yeah. to do Anna's show, and we were, we were talking for a few minutes, and obviously I knew who you were, but I didn't want, ah, I'm a comic, too. Like, I just didn't. So we just shot the shit for a few minutes, and we talked about that a little bit, but- my point is that because you you use the set of principles that are guiding you right now to do this show are the same principles that you use to defend your art in in that moment, you know? So all of these things, they all come together one way or another. In some ways. Um, the, the real problem with uh, that Mencia thing was that the the art form was being compromised, not just by him stealing from other people, but him creating an environment where people were terrified to express themselves. Like, I mean, look yeah. at that social justice warrior, right? That's the mm -hmm. same thing that they've done. Yeah. By Jenk yelling racist, now, what have you done? Well, sort of, he was, you couldn't express yourself because he would steal those ideas and call them his own. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why, I mean, there was literally like a signal that people would do where, you know, like you'd be on stage for five minutes, you had a 15 minute set, and all of a sudden five minutes in, the light would be on. Like, why is the light on? I have f 10 more minutes to go. It's because Mencia's in the room. And they would let people know. They would that flash the light. incredible. Well, it was, it was a problem. It was a real problem. It was also the people that were running the comic store were fucking retarded. Yeah. As well as the people that were running these agencies were fucking retarded. Like, the, the conversation that I had with my agents when they were telling me that I had to either apologize to Mencia or that they were going to drop me. I go, do you guys understand what you're doing? Because you're making a decision right now. You're calling it business. You're making a decision that's going to affect the rest of your life. You're supporting a criminal. And all you sell is art. Mm -hmm. All you sell is art. That's all you guys do. You don't, you don't produce widgets. You guys aren't building cars. You guys are se you, you're sellers yeah. of other people's art. That's what an agent is. And what you have here is a guy who's stealing art and selling it. You have a vampire. And you're, you're taking this vampire. He will suck the blood off the creative geniuses that you have on your roster. But meanwhile, the opposite ha happened. Louis C.K. left them immediately. Dave Attell left them. Nick Swartzen left them. People that found out about it went, fuck this. Yeah. Then he left them. So the whole thing was a disaster for Gersh, yeah. you know, for, for the agency at the time. And, you know, they, they've really never recovered. I mean, it's, it's always... They, I they, was they with them for a, a little bit. I left for, for other reasons. It was a fucking disaster <laughs> for them. I yeah. mean, they lost a fuckload of money because of that one conversation that we had over the phone where I would have stayed with them. I'm like, if you want to defend this douchebag, you know, I don't give a fuck. I've, this has been my agent for years. You know, I like the guy who I'm not... I'm not going to name him. Yeah. He's a good dude. But he was being put into position by the guy who owned the company that like, look, this guy is calling me up saying he demands that, uh, that Joe apologize to him and he wants it to be a big deal. And like, fuck you. Yeah. I'm like, I would rather be homeless. And basically for people to really understand that, the reason was because at the time he was a bigger star than you, right? Well, like, he was so ultimately on, that's where the power play was. Yeah, he was yeah. on. But I was big enough star that I couldn't be hurt that, by it. Yeah. I was rich. Yeah. I'm like, what are you going to do? I'm, I, I'm, I was on Fear Factor at the time. I had all this money. And yeah. I'm like, you can't hurt me. And he tried. He tried to get me. He got me banned from the comic store. He tried to get my agency. And this is a person, you know, in me where I'm already untouchable in that sense. Like, yeah. you, really can't, you really can't dig in. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to try, though. So if I was a young comic coming up 
he would have had some real damage. Yeah. He could have done some real damage to me. Well, I'm and, sure there's probably untold amount of young comics that he lifted from that you have no idea. Uh, well, a lot of them contacted me yeah. while that was going on, and some of them didn't want to be named, and some of them didn't mind if I named them, but I think, honestly, that most likely he stole almost everything he did, and that he stole it from different sources and changed it around. But you've got that with a lot of comics. You've got that with a lot of, a lot of like really shitty comedians make it. And one of the ways they make it is they take other people's ideas and they move them around just enough. Sure. And, look, look, even good comics, look, Robin Williams, who's, you know, has more talent or had more talent in his finger than I probably have in my whole body, and that was talent, well known yes. to steal. I know, I know a comic personally, you probably know him too, but I, I won't name him for the purpose of this, but who... Uh, Robin stole a bit from didn't and then he never told him but then just sent him a check yeah. I think he sent him a $15,000 check he did that to a lot of guys yeah, yeah. well Robin so was much I mean, better as a performer yeah. than he was as a creative guy yeah as someone who came up with the ideas have yeah. you ever heard the, the phrase parallel evolution has that uh, phrase parallel it? thinking I've so heard that. I had a comic when I was working in New York that I worked with almost every night and he started lifting from people and we all kind of knew it and he did exactly what you said it was like he would take the premise but then just tweak yeah. it enough that mm -hmm. every time I'd be watching I'd go uh, can't you know like, yeah. but, but we all knew right. and one night I, I finally confronted him he's still doing stand up by the way and we've since become friends and he's sort of apologized and whatever and he said to me one night he goes Dave Dave don't you know about parallel evolution the premise being that we, these jokes just evolve over, you know, if you're talking about sort of current event type things, we're all going to, a certain amount of it's just going to evolve at the same time. And I said, I was about to say his name, but I said, uh, I said, not only are you lifting jokes, you also made up a theory. <laughs> like that's pretty, if you could apply that sort of creative right. thinking to your jokes, maybe we wouldn't be in this problem. And that is you know? part of the problem is that a lot of these people, they, they have a self-defeating tendency. And that yeah. self-defeating tendency is that they don't, they're not willing to put in the work because they're afraid of failure. So instead they see success and they just duplicate it. And they literally duplicate it in the premise. They yeah. duplicate the premises. They duplicate the pathway to getting to the end of the joke. But the one thing they can't duplicate is you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that that's at the end of the day, that's all we have. Forget whether it's stand-up or whether it's radio yeah. or on-air. Like what you have, the thing that at the end of the day they come to you is something that you can't really quantify, right? Like you just, people understand a certain series of things about you that they like. So if the average person, well, why do you like Rogan? They could lay out a couple things. But there's that other thing that just is there. They can't duplicate you, but in the case of a guy like Robin Williams, he can duplicate <laughs> all the things that you do that people like. Well, and I that becomes a problem because if he goes on before you, and that was one of the Mencia things that he would do, he would steal someone's bit and then bring them on. Because like, a comedy store, you tag team. Which yeah. means you would go on and you would say, thank you very much, good night. All right, this next comic is, you know, and you'd bring up your friend. Right, so no so, MC kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, no MC at the yeah. comedy store. And he would bring on guys right after he did their closing bit. And he would do it to fuck with them. And he would do it because he had some power. You know, and because the Mexican community is desperately looking for star comedians. I mean, they have uh, they have a few of them. I mean, there's like George Lopez was always a big one. And Gabriel, um, Gabriel uh, Iglesias. Iglesias is yeah. a big one. He sells out everywhere. But he's a really nice guy. And the, the difference being that Mencia is not really Mexican. That was, you know, it was, he was completely concocted. Yeah. And that's what really did him in more than anything. Well, it's when like, people found out it was a fake name. What, wait, what was his real name? His real name's yeah, Ned, Ned, Ned Holness. something. And what about, what's the other one? Uh, the, one of the redneck guys, what's his name? Electric Bob or 
the oh. refrigerator Sal. What the hell is his name? Larry the Cable Guy? Yeah, and what's his real name? And he's Oh, yeah, yeah Dan yeah. Whitney. And it's like... Yeah, but Dan Whitney's yeah, not stealing not... jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, don't mind someone like Dice Clay's real name isn't Dice Clay. Yeah. It's Andrew Silverstein. I was, at a, I was at a party a couple of weeks ago and, and uh, Dice was there. And I was never a huge, huge fan of his. But I do remember around whatever that was, maybe 89, 90, maybe a little later when he sold out the garden mm-hmm. and when he was in that, you know, that year of just Thunder. insanity. I remember watching that and thinking like, this is incredible. Like it was one of the things that really sparked me with stand up because even though I didn't love the material and I understood that how stupid the jokes were sort of, but I was like, the power of this is fucking amazing. Yeah. And so I went up to him at this party and I tapped him on the shoulder and I just said, hey, I'm Dave, comic, blah, blah. He was like, yeah, good. And then walked away. Like I was like, wow. Because I've had such good, I'm sure you've had this too, when, you, when you've met comics over the years that you really admire. Yeah. Pretty much every single one that I've ever admired. When I lived on the Upper West in New York, I lived about two blocks away from Seinfeld. So I'd bump into him a lot. And he was a little hot and cold, but like basically like there was the comic bond. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. And I was just, Dice was just like, he was so over it. Uh, yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah. He's, he's become his persona. Yeah. I like Dice. Well, he's dressed and the I'm way you friends think he's with him. Yeah. But you know, he wasn't always that guy. Like that dressing, that whole thing. Yeah. That was a character in Andrew Silverstein's yeah. act. Yeah. Like the Dice Man was a guy he would do that was basically Jerry Lewis and the Nutty Professor. <laughs> Like, if you've never seen The Nutty Professor, it's a great movie. Yeah. And one of the things that's great about it is Jerry Lewis is, like, this nerdy guy who takes a potion. It was a potion, yeah. I think it was? Yeah, And he becomes this super cool daddy-o guy. You know, this is, like, 19-fucking-whatever-it-was. 50-something. Yeah, yeah, probably. And it's a hilarious movie because, you know, the, ultimately this guy, you know, becomes this guy that the ladies love. And then the potion starts wearing off and he goes back to being his nerdy self again mm-hmm. and... Dice is that guy. I mean, that's that's who he is on stage. Well, it was only a part of his act, and then it became the best part of his act, and then it became his act. And then yeah. it became him outside. It's like, so now you see him walking around the street. He's got the weightlifting gloves on. <laughs> he's got a fucking got gold gym off. jacket yeah. that's, that's fucking, it's got all the glitter on it and shit. Yeah. It's bedazzled. I mean, <laughs> it's, he's a... Uh, I I I ha- I'm happy he exists though. Think, I enjoy him. Oh, for sure. And and think about like <laughs> the fact that at that if you watch that Madison Square Garden special, which it's all on you on YouTube, you can watch it. People are announcing the jokes before he even finishes the premise. Like mm-hmm. that's that was the power. That's where it showed to me the power of stand up. Like I always love. I remember what got me into stand up was I was four years old, nineteen eighty or six maybe nineteen eighty three. I saw Bill Cosby himself on HBO. And I was on the floor, even though I probably didn't even really understand what he was talking about. I thought this was the greatest thing ever. Yeah. You know you're grown up, by the way, when uh, your childhood hero becomes a, a serial rapist. You Maybe know, the like, most successful serial <laughs> rapist ever. Of, of all time, yeah. Um, but that that sparked it in for me. That sparked laughter and, and wanting to make people laugh and loving comedy for me. Uh, but the Dice thing was like, holy shit, this is a real... Now I understand the show, mm. too. Um, well, his stand-up was different in that not only did you know the punchline, but the whole audience would sing it like a song. <laughs> yeah. So they wanted to hear the same jokes again, which is very different from other stand-up. With stand-up, most of the time you want to hear the new bits. Yeah. Well, That's you know, what people want to hear, shit they haven't heard before. Sure. And I know that even talking about Cosby, it's like hard to do at this mm-hmm. point because everyone associates such terrible stuff. But I, I did see him live a couple times. And one of the most amazing things that I ever saw a comic do ever was that, you know, everyone knew that whole himself special. 
every comic loved it pretty much. So many from Chris Rock to Seinfeld to a zillion people credit that with like being one of their seminal things and the records and all that. And I saw Cosby maybe 10 years ago in Jersey and he was doing all new stuff. And, you know, it was kind of, you know, by his last 10 years, haven't been that kind to him. And even just the way he looks and he's had some health things like just what none of it was that great. But then at the end, he goes, I'm going to do one old bit for you. And he said, I know you all know it. I know you all know it, but I'm going to do one old bit for you. And he did the dentist routine and everyone knew it. But he was such a master that he was it was like watching him. It was like watching someone with clay because he could take the laughs before they were coming and then just change it enough to keep them going more. And mm. they weren't yelling out the punchlines because it wasn't as, you know, like didactic or just set as as uh, dice. But like it was it was amazing to watch to do comedy and invent your old bit that you've now reinvented a thousand times and they know it all. And it was like as good as ever. It was it was amazing. to watch. Well, his old stuff, I mean, in the time it's and that is a thing that you need to take into consideration when you watch stand up is that stand up is sort of a uh, it's sort of a time machine. It's a time capsule. Mm -hmm. And like that's why you can go back and listen to Lenny Bruce, who is arguably the most important stand up comic ever. Yeah. And he's not very funny. Yeah. It's just not. It's not very good today. And this is coming from someone who has Lenny Bruce posters framed in his house. And I have Lenny Bruce live at the Fillmore in in my uh, my office. I mean, he's, in my opinion, the most important guy ever. Well, he changed the art. Definitely. He simply, he just fucking tore the thing down. We are not going to do jokes like that. We're going to talk about real shit. Mm -hmm. And he opened it for everybody. Yeah. Period. And I think that's often the case with uh, a lot of the greats. Like a lot of the old Carlin stuff is in that vein. Like uh, I understand its position in the history, but if you watch it or listen to it today, it's really not that good. You know, it's I think that's the case with Cosby as well. So, so Cosby for well, and especially now Cosby has this other thing attached to him that it's, it just becomes impossible to remove. Yeah, yeah. It, it's so lined up together. Carlin. So I had Kelly Carlin on this week, who's uh, George's daughter, who's a good friend of mine, and we talked a lot. We talked about that, and we related it all to everything else we've been talking about here: the social justice stuff, and language, and words, mm -hmm. and you know, being afraid to hear certain ideas and all that. So it was a really, really interesting conversation. And uh, I watched a bunch of George's stuff just in preparation. I've seen it all a thousand times. But I thought actually a lot of it still does stand. Some of it, yeah, the seven dirty words sort of seem ridiculous now in a it's certain still pretty way. pretty good, though. But it's still pretty good. Like, And even his last HBO special is fucking perfection. It, I, I, I've asked her this before. He knew his health was failing at the time. I don't think he knew he was... Uh, going to die only a few months later. But in a lot of ways, if you watch it knowing that he perhaps thought it was his last special, it, it brings it to a whole other level. Because he ends it really just wrapping up, like wrapping up a 40-year, here's what I think about everything. It's it's pure brilliance. Well, he uh, did a new special every year. So when you have that, that much material, you you're going to have some hits and some misses, but he certainly had way more hits than he had misses. Sure. He had he had like a five-year, I think, sort of lull, I guess, maybe in the mid-90s mm -hmm. or something, yeah. where I thought it became just too much about cursing and mm -hmm. whatever. But beyond that, that yeah. guy... Well, I think that represented a lull in his life, though. You know, I mean, yeah. He had some issues in his own life, personal life. But I, what I was referring to is his old stuff. If you go back to when he looked like a weatherman. Oh, oh, you're talking yeah. about before he yeah. became the George oh, Carlin. Oh, for sure. Yeah. If you go back and put that time capsule and try to like watch that today, it's not really that funny. You know who is really interesting? The old stuff is 
Woody Allen. Mm -hmm. Woody Allen's old stuff. First of all, he's a fucking total pervert in his old stuff. <laughs> well, it all like, sort of wow, leaked. Wow, this is so weird. Yeah. Well, look, it all leaked into his movies, like yes. all his strange mm -hmm. sexual stuff and young yeah. girls mm -hmm. and you know, daughter, you know, how old was Mariel Hemingway in in Manhattan? She was. Well, first off, she played underage, and I don't know how old she was. Yeah, I think in, she was like seventeen or something. How old was she? She was. Yeah, well, I, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. But yeah, um, it, but comedy is in in a weird way, like. Here's here's a good example. Uh, Eddie Murphy Raw mm -hmm. at the time was like this monster stand-up thing that everybody had to see. Oh my God, I saw it. I was crying. Try watching that today. First of all, you want to talk about homophobic. <laughs> Not just homophobic, but violently, aggressively homophobic. Yeah. Which is really weird when you consider all the allegations that have surfaced since with him and transgender people mm -hmm. and transsexuals and picking up hookers that were men. Like, it's it's very, very strange. Isn't it funny that we try to get, look, uh, who is it, Oscar Wilde said, you know, if you want to tell people the truth, you have to be funny. I think it was Oscar Wilde. Maybe it was Lily Tomlin. Am I totally, <laughs> I, I, it's somebody, I, I can't remember. I think it's one of them. I don't know how I believe it. was the Dice Man. I it said a... it. Oh! <laughs> um, but, you know, it's funny that we try, as as a society, like, so many of the people that, of course, that we admire, but that, that everyone is are comedians, because we're supposed to tell the truth. We are supposed to tell the truth. And, and then at the same time, Comedians are often either the sad clown or severely emotionally crippled or wanting that approval thing mm. before and all the lines that you were talking about. And it's a really bizarre place. So then when you get, you suddenly get all that approval and then it's like, can you still also grow as a human while you're getting approval for, from something that came out of some dysfunction? Yeah. You, you know, and I know adjust. this is the endless comedian discussion. Yeah. You have to adjust what, why you do it. You know, you have to do it for other people instead of doing it for yourself. And you have to do it for the for the art, for the work. Yeah. And the work is profoundly enjoyable for people that love stand-up. It's like if you're a painter and you only paint for yourself, well, you know, at a certain point in time, you're running out of shit to paint. Yeah. You know, when you're painting, I guess, expressing yourself for the desires of other people, I think then it becomes different. Yeah. I saw George Carlin uh, once, just a little bit before he died, also on The View, and he was talking about the art. Oh, of good lord! Uh, Poor yeah. man. Poor That's, guy. That probably took years off his life. <laughs> we maybe still have George today if he didn't make. Come to think of it, I think he died that later that day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he Ugh. said he said something that I thought was really great. He said, you know, he said when I became a good comic was when I got over the need. Yeah. And I think that it's a good lesson for humans in general, just for people, like getting over the need, whatever the need is of yourself. And we all struggle with this. Of course, I struggle with it as a person and as a comic and a host or whatever it is. Right. Like we all have that shit and, and wanting all that approval. But when you can get over that and just and really do things for the right, clean reasons and, and live in a, and at the same time, live in a way that honors all those things that you stand up for. I think that's like the secret. Like mm. that's the, that's the sauce. Like that's what we should all be trying to do. And it transcends, you know, profession. It transcends comedy, and it transcends everything pretty much. Yeah, I, I think you're, you, I think you're onto it. And I think also that that process of like the need is is it's that's the fuel that gets you off the earth and away from the effects of gravity and then the momentum of that sort of carries you on but you don't necessarily have to keep that fucking jet engine fire under your asshole all the time yeah it's 
but that doesn't that explain sort of like uh, why angst and being fucked up or whatever mm-hmm. it, you know when they say comics are all fucked up or whatever yeah. you need a certain amount of that oh you do to get you, going you need yeah. it and for look I did stand up think about this I did stand up we've only known each other for whatever it is two hours now I did stand up for about ten years in the closet now I was mostly doing political stuff and social stuff. It wasn't like I wasn't like outwardly lying all the time and being like I fuck this chick and that, you know, like it mm-hmm. wasn't like that. But like I constantly was avoiding the truth on stage or if, you know, if I was getting heckled, there were easy ways that I it would in, it imply that I was straight or and I'm sure time I'm 100% sure there were times that I made it seem like I was straight or something like that. Right, right. But that that angst and that fuel really made me successful really quick. Like I was passed at the comedy cellar like a year into doing stand up. And then and then a couple of years later, like it basically all crumbled on me because I realized that my life, my person life was way behind where my art was. And then I ended up doing gay shows, which was another fucking nightmare because if you're a gay comic, they have like one at every club, right? Like there's there's sort of one like stereotypical gay comic. And then suddenly I was the gay comic and I don't act that gay whatever the hell that means so i wasn't even gay enough for them <laughs> then i ended up then i ended up on a gay tv channel on here tv which was this like premium gay channel and then i ended up on the gay channel on sirius xm i wanted to talk about politics and instead i was fucking interviewing real housewives and you know all of that shit and it had nothing uh... <laughs> nothing to do with anything i wanted to do yeah so everybody's path is is crazy and weird well your path's always going to be crazy and weird because we're human beings and i think you you've you're onto it as far as like this fucked up aspect of you that needs love so badly you want to go on stage with a spotlight on you and a microphone to amplify your voice pay attention to me and then once you get to that position it's up to you to figure out the trick. Yeah. Because if you're a, music- a magician and you believe that you're really pulling a rabbit out of a fucking hat, <laughs> you're an idiot. You know, like you're you're the guy with the That's trick. Good. And the trick is, you know, your voice is amplified. You're on the stage. You figured out the cadence and the hypnotic rhythm in order to get people to laugh at your stuff. But what 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 are you actually trying to do? If you're still trying to fill holes, well, you you fucking missed it, son. Mm-hmm. That's just supposed to get you to the dance. And once you're at the dance, then it's supposed to be about creating the art. Yeah. Then it's supposed to be about trying to figure out what is the best way to make something really funny. What is the best way to make something so I I contribute to culture. I contribute to people's entertainment value. They go out, they can say, hey, Dave Rubin is at the Ice House tonight. Let's go on out and have a good time. And yeah. they they leave there and they go, that was fun. Oh my God, that was great. And huh? that's the goal. The goal is to, you're changing the way people feel. And you can do that with ideas and you got to work them through. But yeah, the, what gets you to the dance in the first place is your fucked up past. Your angst, your insecurities, your all that shit. It's a matter of the people that cling to those things and, and that never get them, never get rid of them. Then they make it, and they don't know what the fuck to do. So that that's the the really interesting part to me because so I lived on the Upper West as I said. Put before. that sucker, zillion, put this microphone closer to you. Yeah, so sorry. You'll hear, um, people hear it more because we can hear each I, other. Yeah, yeah. When I get deep, I start leaning yeah. to my left. Um, 
So I lived on the Upper West, which is like a bastion of comedians. There's just a zillion comics that live up there. Seinfeld lived up there, and Elaine Boozler lived up there, and uh, Taylor Negron, who I met right before he died. Didn't yeah. even know I met him just a couple weeks before he, he was going to do my show. He was a great guy. Great, great, great guy. And just a zillion, and a lot of younger comics, whatever. But one, I used to see Greg Giraldo all the time. He lived a couple blocks Another away from me. Another great guy. And so I think you'll find this really interesting. I didn't, I didn't know him personally, but he knew I was a comic. We just sort of nod when we were walking by. And uh, one day I saw him uh, walking his two kids. He had his two young sons hand in hand and he was walking between them. And I thought, wow, like that, there, there's a guy who I respect as a comic, like doing good shit. He's funny. He's real. You could always tell there was like some pain there, but like doing it, you know, he's getting certain chances. Like I think he never got like maybe whatever would have been his big chance, but like it, he was in the mix and respected anyway. Then the next day after that, I saw him, I went to Equinox, was the gym I went to on the Upper West, and I saw him there, and he was working out, and I was like, look, there's a guy, I just saw him with his kids, he's working out, like, it's all, seems like it's working for this guy, like, it actually gave me hope, like, oh, I can become, like, a functioning person mm. that weekend. Uh, that weekend, he was dead. I mean, but with him, I, I, I don't know enough a, about him to- Well, I know him, Yeah, and it was, it was a pill thing, it was a drug thing, you yeah. know, and that's- um incredibly unfortunate i knew him when he had a television show because when greg had he, he had a show um because you know greg started out as a lawyer mm -hmm. and he had a, a show on one of the networks i think nbc i think right Didn't i don't he? think so because no. i was on nbc at the time and i don't think we we're on the same network oh, okay um i think it was abc but it, it, that doesn't matter what matters is we were on the same lot. We were mm -hmm. both on that Sunset Gower lot that I was talking about, and mm -hmm. we were next door to each other. So I'd hang out with him. You know, we're just fellow comics, you know, and that's the bond that we shared is that, you know, he had a lot more responsibility than me because I was on this giant ensemble where I was, you know, the th fifth or sixth person on the, when the credits roll, you know, <laughs> it'd be like Phil Hartman or Dave Foley, more Yeah. So I had no pressure, but he he had the Greg Giraldo show. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what it was called, but it was it was his show, and uh, you know he went from that, and then he you know was really a big part of Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn. Yep. And there's that great moment where he shut down Dennis Leary on uh, on Tough Crowd. It was oh, like one of my all time favorite moments on Tough Crowd because uh, you know Dennis was getting upset that Greg Giraldo had written jokes. Oh. He had funny things to say about certain things. He goes, yeah, uh, Dennis, that's what we do. We write. Yeah. We write jokes. And it was just a classic moment. Dennis is wearing sunglasses. <laughs> it's inside. Right, like Greg's like in the prime exactly. and Dennis is coming in. Like, it's yeah. just horse shit. Yeah. Um, but he, he was a guy that I think was really respected by a lot of other comedians. He was really good at roasts. Yeah. And in today's day, you know, I mean, he died a few years back. He probably would be just right now crushing it like Bill Burr is. Mm -hmm. You know, he'd be right now, like, be in his stride. Because I think that what he was doing and what he was was really good. Yeah. But that, that goes but to demons, that thing. demons, man. Demons. I mean, think about that. Literally the day before, I'm looking at this guy going, holy shit, <sighs> like, he's doing it. That pill demon is a different different monster the, yeah. the the opiate addict you know that's a different monster you know the the person who does meth or coke or you know the, the people that go hard that's a totally different monster yeah that scares the shit out of me man i mean i smoked a ton of pot in my day like that smoked a ton uh, yeah. of pot yesterday yeah <laughs> 
I got my card a couple weeks ago. Actually, Good for you. I, I went to the 420 doctor on Melrose. Yeah. You know, you know the so 420. So hard to doc- get a prescription, so isn't it? I thought you have to go through a battery of tests. Oh and- my god, it was like a day <laughs> of like probing, and I thought I was being like taken by. We're alien. joking, by the way, folks. It you was- have to be a fucking idiot to not get a prescription. So I could not believe how easy it was. I mean, I, I could. I went in. I literally, I was like, ah, well, I guess, like, I just wanted weed to smoke weed. I right. don't have any real physical ailments, but I was like, I'll tell him I would get headaches, yeah. so my knees hurt after I play basketball, back pain. I mean, the woman looked at me like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know? And then I went into, I had never been to one of the stores, one right. of the dispensaries, went in there for, I, I still can't believe, I've only been there a couple of times now, but I can't believe like just the level of, it's a real salesperson, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and candy and edibles mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. oil, you know, careful. So she, she wanted oils and, mm. uh, uh, so there's oils, what else? A wax. Mm. I was like, do you have any weed in weed form? Like, is there any, is that it left anymore? Like just some buds. So I got, I got oil. It's all there's it's available, but yeah, the problem is once you uh once you go down to the first floor, you want to go what well, is there a basement down there? <laughs> yes, there is a basement. What's that door in the basement? Ooh, that's the sub basement. Yeah. Let's look in the sub basement. And then you start going deep and next thing you know, you're in a spiral staircase. How, how much pot do you smoke? Um, I smoke a fair bit. Depending upon uh, whether or not I'm at the comedy store or not, I, I enjoy getting high and going to the comedy store. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to get high before I do jujitsu. I like to get high before I give the missus a stabbing. N- nice. I nice. like to get high before I get in the isolation tank. <sighs> isolation tank. I want yeah. to talk about that. I need yeah. to do that. I, like to, I, I, I enjoy marijuana. Yeah. It's one of my friends. So I, yeah, I could tell. <laughs> Your whole, I mean, you lit up. It was I like, like it. Yeah, it's yeah, great. Yeah. And you know, also, also, I like the fact that I represent the opposite of the stereotype. You know? Right, you're doing shit. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I don't buy it. I don't buy that marijuana makes you lazy. I think you're fucking lazy. I think you could be lazy and, and eat Cheetos. Does that mean Cheetos make you lazy? You could be lazy and watch TV. Does that mean TV makes you lazy? I don't buy it. Yeah. I think we're looking for some reasons why people have flaws in their personality. And I don't think you could say it's marijuana. Does marijuana have all good aspects to it? No. Like many things. It's, it has good and bad. The bad thing is the memory. You know, the memory thing is a bad thing. Like, what? What were we talking about? But that's fleeting, you know? Like, long-term memory? My long-term memory is fucking fantastic. It has to be. Because with the UFC, look, I have a a, a bio when I do the UFC, which uh, will tell me, like, a fighter's record, tell me who they're training with, and tell me. But when the matches are going on, I'm not leafing through papers. If I start talking about a fight that happened seven years ago in in another organization, it's because it's in my head. Yeah. You know? And when I talk to people, they're like, what kind of preparation do you do? I'm like, I'm not doing any preparation. The preparation that I'm, well, I am, but I'm not. The preparation that I'm doing, I would do anyway. I want to watch their fights because I know they're coming up. So I'll watch their shit if I need to know about some of their training methods but those those are things that I will do because I'm curious about I want to I want to broaden my understanding of what their preparation is that because I want to enjoy the fight more and I enjoy the fight more if I do that and then I express that but all that stuff is off memory it's there yeah so when I'm doing like how much how many notes do you have in front of you that I write zero I don't have any. So if you hear me talking about old matches and stuff like that, all that shit is in my head. I have to have good memory. And if I really thought that pot was fucking with that, I would stop smoking pot. But it doesn't. But it'll fuck with, like, what were we just talking well, about? Yeah, that. You know, that, it'll do that. Well, you think Twitter's doing that, too. I'm, I'm a firm believer in that, that all of these things and having this phone constantly, that that's 
fraying. I mean, I'm talking really just splitting and disintegrating people's memory and, and especially short-term memory. I see on my show all the time now. Not Comics numbers. or anyone will be on just talking about anything. And suddenly they forget what they're saying. I'm not talking about 70-year-old people. I'm talking about 30-year-old people. Mm. You know, there used to be a time if you were going to meet a buddy out for, or you're going to meet a girl for a drink or something, you're waiting on a corner and she's going to be, and you're, she's five minutes late. Right. You'd have to stand there and just. Yep. And wait. Think about some shit and look at the sky and people watching, whatever. But now you immediately do yeah, this. Immediately. And not only do you immediately do it, you can immediately scroll and see, oh, and approval, uh, approval, approval, approval. Yes, oh, they love me, they love me, yes, they hate me, they love me, whatever yes. it is. And all of that, and it goes to what we started with this whole thing about, and six second videos, and all of this shit, and this bounce back of why people like this now, is because all of this I really think is, is they've done studies where it's actually rewiring synapses and all mm -hmm. of this stuff. It's changing people's brains. Uh, and that's the internet is actually having a physical effect on us. That's yeah. not just our necks are hungover and that neck thing is real, man. Yeah, they're worried that people are gonna like older people of our generation and before are are going to have real issues with their neck because they're always looking down. Yeah, and that in looking down like that, you're stretching the ligaments and stretching your your neck and putting pressure on your discs. I feel it. I feel even you. when I'm holding my iPad. I feel like I've done something to my pinky. Like my pinky has like a little, I'm not kidding. Like I've got like two little indentations here because I'm holding this thing all the time like this, you know? I mean, really people, you do all kinds of weird, you know how if you're writing, I'm a lefty. So like uh, if I'm writing, like I have a little indentation on my mm -hmm. index finger because the pen oh, is yeah, always laying right. there. Like you actually can physically change your body mm -hmm. by some of this technological unquestionably i used to have uh from writing from drawing i used to have a big callus on the inside of my fuck you finger <laughs> that gave right it a hand. little extra well it was not it was not that but i mean it's just from i drew yeah. like hours and hours every day when i was young and i always had these like big calluses all over there and they've all gone away now huh. it's interesting how that happens you got to start drawing again yeah maybe but the neck thing is a real real concern the eye thing's got me i mean obviously uh your eyes degenerate as you get older that's a uh, and thing about close vision, but with me, I, I think it's got to be connected at least somewhat to staring at screens. I know that's bad for you. Focusing on any short term, like something that's really close to you. Mm -hmm. And um, who the fuck was it that was on the podcast that referred to it as like a cast? I don't remember who it was. Oh, it was uh, short term the, memory. The woman Come on, who is Come on, bring um, it on. Uh, who sleeps on the ground? Remember the chick who uh, she doesn't sleep on beds and. She's got this interesting Kathy. Is her name Kathy? Um, whatever. Jamie will find it. But anyway, the way she described it is she was saying that when you're staring, Kathy Bowman? Yeah. Katie Bowman. Thank you. Katie Bowman. She, that she said when you're staring at one distance all the time, like mm -hmm. the distance between your face and your laptop or your face and your phone, is that your, your eyes are supposed to look at close things and far things and, and look at this broad range of distances. And instead, you're only looking at something right in front of your face. And it fucks with literally the shape of your eye. Yeah. And then it's your, your, your body doesn't know what the fuck to do. I mean, think about it. Our grandparents, or even our parents, when my dad was born, there was no such thing as television. Mm. I'm 39 years old. That's insane. Right? So our grandparents had no screens. They didn't even have radio, right? Radio had just maybe started, whatever it was. When did radio start? Give me a, Early 1900s. Right, okay. So my grandparents were World probably- World Wars? Yeah. What was that? 1920s? Yeah. So, I mean, really 30s? think about that, how we've changed in 100 years, 
And as you were talking about earlier about how the internet's going to change us and, and we're learning so much more faster and all that, mm-hmm. that now it's so involved in this digital, I mean, it's the matrix mm-hmm. is becoming real. Like ultimately we're just the batteries for these things to keep going. You know, mm-hmm. like there, we're just putting information. We're putting whatever our spirit is, whatever, whatever you want to call that is just the battery for this digital thing to exist. Do you know who Marshall McLuhan is? I don't think so. He's a fascinating thinker and author from like the 50s and 60s, I think it was. And he he was a part of uh, he was a part of the counterculture in a lot of ways. A lot of people quote him, but one of the things that he said about this is technology before computers. He said human beings are the sex organs for the machine world, and the idea that we we exist to create these machines. And I, I firmly believe that what we're doing is we are some sort of a technological caterpillar and we're giving birth to a new life form. I really, really believe that. And I think that Elon Musk and what he said about summoning the demon in the form of artificial intelligence, yeah. I don't think that's off at all. I think there's going to come a time, whether it's 100 years or 1,000 years, human life and this biological, the biological limitations of our own cellular bodies it's going to be ridiculous. We're, we're, we're going to, di- we're just going to get rid of them. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's going to be that long. A hundred or a thousand, forget a thousand. Well, a thousand, we're going to be long gone from this, this earth. But Maybe. I don't even, I don't you even think, think so? it, people uh, won't be around a thousand years. Uh, I think we'll have, I think, no, I think a lot of people are probably going to die here on our dying planet and you know, rich people mainly are going to be able to escape with, we, with spaceships. Yeah. We're going to go to... Where are we going? We're going to... Well, I guess we've given up on the moon, right? And now, you know, we're going to... But we're going to go... We're going to find something. We are going to find something that has some of the basic building blocks of life, like Earth. Uh-huh. You know, look, you know, Carl Sagan, our, our, our sun is not spectacular by any stretch. And we know that there's billions and billions of suns in this galaxy, in this universe, you know, that whole thing. And it endlessly extrapolates. And all we are are just a tiny rock with that had the right distance from the sun and the right amount of chemicals to make all this shit happen. We're going to find something that's going to be similar to this, but maybe it'll it'll all be 10 degrees hotter. And because of that, everything will have evolved slightly differently. Or maybe, you know, you could pick like I love Star Wars. You could pick any of those planets, you know, like it just evolved differently. There'll be a planet that's, all, you know, mostly water and we'll have to eventually learn how to deal with that unless the guys get here first and kill us. That's possible, too. That is possible, but I think that our own biological limitations, our own organisms are so acutely adapted to this environment, to the environment of planet Earth, that it would be insanely difficult for us to colonize another planet. Insanely insanely problematic when it comes to dealing with whatever life is already there, dealing with the environment, dealing with... that. It'd be better to just fix this spot. Like, oh, I hope we can. This spot's fucking falling apart. Like we're like we have a, a shitty old car, and we're like, <laughs> let's just abandon it and leave it on the lawn and uh, move to the neighbor's house. Yeah, I mean th- that's really the idea. But the neighbor's house is on fire all the time, and uh, it gets pelted with asteroids. I think we're gonna put all of our effort into flying to some other planet, and on the way there, their sun's gonna supernova. And then we're going to blow up in the middle of space and all, all hope will be lost. That's what I think. Wow. You know, people, I, I've been feeling so inspired Earth, by this conversation. And now you've... People back here on Earth are just going to regroup and go, you know what? Let's stop trying to go to space and just clean the ocean. Yeah. I, I really think our, something about humans, something about... Look, right now, like even if we cut... And again, I'm not a scientist. But even if we cut our greenhouse gases here in America and we do all this stuff, India... 
these developing nations, China, they're going through what we went through 60 years ago. So when we have the UN meet and try to get everybody to come up with, uh, you know, numbers that we're going to allow to put out this much smog and this much all this bullshit. It's like, what right do we have to tell them not to do everything they can to advance just the way we did 50 years ago. So no matter, so it's funny. And I live in West Hollywood. There are no plastic bags, right? And they don't even want to give me a paper bag at Trader Joe's anymore. You know, you have to pay for you, it. You have to pay for it. And that's, I mostly just pay for paper bags at this point. They hate me too. Cause I never bring my own bag. I'm a fucking badass. I pay that 10 cents for that bag. They hate you for that. You yeah, see it in their eyes. Yeah. You can see it. The judgment, really? the horrible judgment. I need those paper bags. Uh, I use the paper bags. I know. I, I put I my recycling them. in them. Yeah. Well, that's also how I, I light the fire when I use my uh, grill. I stuffed the paper bag underneath the little charcoal chimney. That's what I use. Yeah. Well, they'd hate you for that. Oh, fuck them. The, <laughs> um, Short-sighted bitches. Yeah. They're, anyway, the, I, I just think the, <laughs> the earth, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think 100 years, it'd be hard for me to believe that things could still be going on around here. Well, 100 years ago, you'd be amazed at what progress has taken place socially. You'd be amazed. I mean, think about that. Think about 1865 was the last time slavery was legal, right? Think of that. Think how, that's not a long time ago. No, it's at not all. a long time ago. You know, that's almost a hundred years exactly from when I was born. I was born in '67, so 102 years later, I was born after slavery. That's nothing. A hundred years is not that much time. Yeah, I think that a thousand years from now, who the fuck knows what kind of technological capabilities we're going to have, as far as our ability to not just not create waste, but to use up all the waste that we have created and use it in a positive way. Just because you burn gasoline, it creates pollution. It doesn't mean that's the only way you can yeah. get energy. And just because pollution is in the air, carbon dioxide is hitting record levels, it doesn't mean that can't be maintained or regulated. I think there's got to be a way that people can figure out how to live sustainably. If it's possible to live sustainably in a small community, it's possible to live sustainably globally. So when you do it for yourself, like when you hunt for your meat and you were telling me you have chickens before, when you, when you do all that stuff, do you feel that you're doing it? for yourself or you're doing it for your community or is it 50 50 zero like, I'm, I'm being totally honest yeah. zero for my community zero for the earth i'm just thinking what's the best way I, this is just my my intent going in i understand that it's better for the earth but my intent going in is like i don't want to rely on other people for my food I don't want to rely on some farmer to not shove antibiotics and hormones into food I want to be able to eat clean, healthy food. Also, ethically, I don't want to be a part of the factory farming system. I think when I watch these YouTube videos, these Ugh. PETA videos on how they raise pigs and cows, and it's, it's, it's fucking evil. I'd rather shoot a wild pig. I'd rather, I'd rather eat moose. You know, I think it's better for you, too. Protein-wise, the protein content of elk and moose is far higher than the protein content of beef. It's better for you. You can eat smaller portions. You get more out of it. I just... For me, it, it gives me a better feeling. I know where everything came from. When I eat a steak that I cut from an elk myself, mm -hmm. that is a, such a different feeling than when you go to the supermarket and you get something of ambiguous origins and plastic-wrapped container and you just take it home, you cut open the plastic and you slap it on the grill and, hey, I'm out here grilling like a man. So you know at Trader Joe's that when you get just chopped meat from Trader Joe's, it comes from four different countries they have four countries of origin on for, it. For beef? For beef. Go right now. 
countries, uh, yeah. really? Yeah, you could go. Maybe we can Google it. Uh, that it, it's coming from you know United. It's something like the United States, Canada, Mexico, and then like something that we're not even geographically connected to. And then I guess they package it all here. But think about that. Like you know how we're so disconnected from our food that when you eat a freaking burger from Trader Joe's, it came from four country i'm not making this up we, yeah. i believe you i didn't no. think i wouldn't think you were making it up but uh, I, I shouldn't say i'm surprised because if it's cheaper to do it that way that's how they're going to do it and trader joe's is known for having you know fairly inexpensive food yeah i shouldn't say cheap because it's all good but like um whole foods one of the things that i like about whole foods people say whole foods is expensive it is expensive it is expensive but they'll show you like the farm where the beef is being grown and you can choose how you want it like you can choose like I did uh, Bourdain's show the other day. We're, mm-hmm. uh, we're hunting pheasants in Montana for a, an upcoming episode, and we were talking about steak. And he was like, you know what? I, he, everybody says, oh, you have to have grass-fed, grass-fed. He goes, I like a fatty steak. He goes, I like steak that's, uh, that eats corn. I think, mm-hmm. I think it tastes better in a lot of ways. But they give you options. At, right, they give you, you that like foods. tiered yeah. system. Yeah. Shows you exactly where the meat is coming from. How it's there's a fucking photo of the farm. Like they show you the farm where these things are being raised. And and it's more expensive to eat sustainable food. It is. It's more expensive. These hunts that I go on, those aren't cheap, you know, and it's the effort is way more. I mean, if I if I shoot an elk, it's gonna take me five or six days. To put it all together to, to get one, and then you have to process the meat and carry it and freeze it. And do you store do all of that, or do you have people? I assume you have somebody helping you. It depends. Do some of that stuff. On some of them, I've done all of it, wow. and on some, on on other ones, if I'm traveling, I'm flying. What I can do is do a lot of it, and then bring the remaining pieces. I quarter it and bring the quarters to a, a meat processor and ask them to turn into steaks or turn into sausage or have things like that done. But the big cuts, like the the back straps and the tenderloin and stuff like that. I do all that myself, the heart and the liver. Wow. I cut all that stuff out myself and then I, I bring it with me. I freeze it. And You know, if you want to see how crazy the, the food system is, also you could check, you know, there's so many documentaries on this, but the amount of laws that we have that protect the factory farming from simple things like having cameras mm-hmm. in where the chickens are. Mm-hmm. Illegal. Yep. The things that Purdue yeah. is getting away with. I always think Purdue to me is like the 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 worst of the worst because if you watch their commercials and this goes to what we were talking about with the with the drugs and the happy people during the day and then they're having diarrhea and killing each other or whatever like the 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 Purdue commercials you got this guy come out he's hanging out with chickens you know he's talking to them oh there's Bernadette and da, da. Do they still have those yeah they still do all that stupid shit he walk uh. or sometimes it's a cartoon and he walks in and good morning. What he doesn't say is that he just, he's about, you know, it's like a Holocaust going on in there. He's killing all the chickens and he's going to kill them. But we have somehow, like, that's how marketing is so crazy. We don't let cameras in to watch them rip the beaks off and burn the feathers off. Not only do we not let them in, it's illegal. So think about that. You can get arrested. What does that have to do? Why would the government, why would our government that's supposed to have our... Uh, best interests at heart, right? right? I guess that's what government's supposed to have. Uh, why would they pass that kind of law? Right. Well, when there's you, a lot of money to be made. Exactly. If you want to go to General Motors and you want to film them putting together a Camaro, of course. Yeah. They no don't problem. Give a shit. Come they on, love look. it. They, yeah. Look at what. Look Take at, you on a tour. Yeah. This is how we do it. Why? Because no fucking babies are getting crushed <laughs> while they're making Camaros. Right. But if you want to go to a pig farm and film it, you can go to jail. Like, these are new laws that have been passed because of whistleblowers. Mm-hmm. And uh, those laws are evil. 
That's evil. You, I mean, that should be transparent, 100%. You should be able to know exactly where your food is coming from. There's only one way to do that. Yeah. I mean, we've done so many things between feeding these animals all sorts of shit that they shouldn't be eating. Have you ever dro- drove up, I think it's a five, if you're driving up towards like San Francisco and mm-hmm. you pass Harris Ranch? Yep. Yeah. So Harris Ranch, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's the largest uh, meat producer in the United States or the largest meat producing ranch in the United States. And when you pass it, they call it Cowschwitz. I mm-hmm. mean, that's how there is so much, it stinks of death. I mean, pure death, right? You, you smell that for a good mile or two. You can see it in the air. You see these dirty animals that can barely move. I mean, I love meat. On my Twitter from last night, I had grass-fed steaks cooked on a Himalayan uh, salt plate. I love meat, right? But after that, I was like, Jesus, like, this is serious. That's that's when I got on at least doing the grass-fed free-range thing. Well, this I was is like, what I happens. can't be part of this. But I know it's about money. Well, it's not just about money. It's about volume. Like, when you have a community of 20 million people, like Los Angeles, and none of them are growing their own food, yeah. they're going to need food. And where's that food going to come from? It's going to come from somebody else that grows that food. And, well, how are they going to grow that food? They're going to grow that food in the most cost-effective and efficient way possible, which means stuff these fucking animals into these cages unless you demand something different. And, well, if you do demand something different, you're going to have a higher price because then these companies aren't going to be making much money. Yep. So they're going to have to charge more money for the meat, and then people can't afford it, and then it becomes a problem. But if you you want to be able to go to In-N-Out Burger, or In-N-Out is not a good example because it takes a little time, but like Jack in the Box, pull mm-hmm. in, get a, a, a ground up beef sandwich within 30 seconds. Yeah. Like, there's only one way to do that. You know, you got to do it with a massive factory. You have to be churning these fuckers out, hanging them by their ankles and putting piston, piston you know, through their brain every 30 seconds. I mean, that's that's got to be chunk, 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 chunk. You got to be constantly whacking them out because there's so many people that are hungry. Yeah. How do you think we get people to wake up on this? Because we, we do, we it's cover it. We cover it on my show sometimes. It's one of the things that I bring on Kara to talk about our food mm-hmm. sources and the way that these, you know, you, you're eating sick animals and then we wonder why we're sick. Like mm-hmm. it's all, of course it's all connected. You open up a thing of meat and it's gray. Why is it gray? Right. Why would you put that in well, your- it's old. Yeah. yeah. Why would you put that in your body? But this is one of those things. It's like- our, our the level of our discourse in America and the level of the nonsense on cable news and they can keep us distracted with Kim Davis issues and they can keep us distracted just with all of this nonsense. And I don't think it's necessarily like some big conspiracy of keeping us distracted as much as it, it's what we are as humans is this endless distraction. There's just this endless distraction and you got to pilfer some truth out of it. You got to pilfer some way to find something that works for you. So I don't know that they can ever fix it because it's we're, we're just in it. We're well, just I don't even know if it's an thing. endless distraction. I think that life has too many variables. It's almost impossible to consider all the variables. Are you going to build your own shelter? Are you going to figure out your own electricity? Are you going to run your own wires? Are you going to fix your own washing machine? Are you going to build your own washing machine? You know, what, what, where are you going to get it? Where are you going to get the parts? How are you going to fucking forge the metal? It's like there's so many things involved with living a comfortable, healthy life in 2015 mm-hmm. in a city. That I mean, are you going to res- be responsible for all aspects, or just is it just going to be food sourcing? What about sewage? What about waste disposal? What are you going to do about all that stuff? Are you going to you going to look into that, or are you just going to like 
flush your shit down the toilet and hope the guy at the other end knows what to do. <laughs> right. I mean, that's essentially what it boils down to, this super complicated civilization that has been created. You could say we've created, but it's uh, we're, we're riding on the momentum of the people that came before us. Yeah. And those people that came before us oftentimes didn't know what the fuck they were doing, didn't plan for the future, certainly didn't think that, I mean, when I was a kid, okay, in the 1970s, there was like... A hundred million less people in this country. Think, just think about that. Think about the numbers between like 1975 and 2015. There's more than a. I think it's more than a hundred million more people just yeah, in this country. I mean, the baby alone. boomers had all those kids. It's insane. And yeah. then there's India. That's exploding population of China. Massive population to the point where they're they're trying to limit the amount of babies that people have. I mean, we we live in a very very strange time in that. People are awakening to all the problems that have been created by this massive amount of people and this incredible need for resources. But at the same time, you're working eight hours a day plus, plus commuting, plus hobbies, plus sexual needs and entertainment needs and friendships and every pull and push and, oh, well, you've got to have civic responsibility. <laughs> Guess what, Dave Rubin? We need you for jury duty. You can't catch up. You can't catch up. And we, we, we operate on this fucking constant momentum with very little quiet time. Yeah. And that's Again. one of the things that I love. Yeah, goes well, to this thing. Well, that's what I love the most about the sensory deprivation tank is that I get that quiet time that you don't get. You know, I get I get time for reflection. A how time often? How often are everything. you doing it? Well, I have it in my house. Oh man! So I do it all the time. Wow, that is really cool. Yeah, you should, I think everyone should do it just to try, just to feel what it's like to just be alone with your thoughts. Because it's the only time you're actually alone with your thoughts. Because you not your body isn't even registering. Is there a lock on that thing? No. I, I would be freaking out the entire time. No. Why would I, it would be would, locked. Well, I know, but it doesn't make sense. But like, would there be some reason that it could lock? No. So, yeah. I, there's not even a latch. There's not even a latch. There's no, no. It's not nothing. a door handle or anything. Yeah. It just pushes open and pushes closed. And how long do you go in there for? As long as I want. Usually, at least an hour. Usually. Really. But sometimes two hours. I know for the first like twenty minutes of being in there, I'd be like, "Is this thing locked? Did I get locked?" In this? <laughs> like it would be. A Lot. Even if I was alone, you know what I mean? I would just be fearing. That's funny. Yeah. You'd get used to it. It's like everything else. It's not scary at all. It's relaxing. What does one of those run you? It's expensive. All right. You can get a cheap one for like, well, I think there's a company called Zen Float that makes a, a small personal one that Duncan has in his house. And I think that one is still fairly expensive, but it's like 1500 bucks. I got the top of the line bad mamma jamma float lab version which is like 30 grand wow yeah they're, they're really expensive but mine is seven feet tall and nine feet wide and it looks like a meat locker it's like it looks like a gigantic freezer that you step into but it's perfect it's i'd like to see sealed. the compound that you live on i feel like there's a lot of cool between the chickens and the deprivation yeah like a lot and there's elk i have an body, archery body range part. yeah yeah I'm a full archery range goes Damn. out to 100 yards in my yard, rubber pigs and rubber elk and rubber I have beers. A, uh, I have an Ikea couch outside. <laughs> Did you build it yourself? It's an, it's an L. Did you hire I, someone? No, no, I built it. I don't want <laughs> to brag, but it's an L. It's pretty pretty sweet. I was reading this thing that was uh, they were talking about uh, people, they experience more satisfaction in the ownership of things like Ikea because even though it's not like good furniture, it's not like the best furniture, the fact that they put it together themselves gives them a sense of satisfaction that, that I think we're kind of missing 
and part of our, our culture. Like someone who built their own house and built their own furniture and they sit in their own house, their own furniture, probably gets like a deep feeling of satisfaction about that. Well, I can tell you as someone that has almost all Ikea, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I, it's taken, I started, uh, I'm 39. I started standup in, uh, right when I got out of college, 98, had radio shows. Like it's been a long, a long journey. I finally, for the first time in this past it's really in the past six months and only in the last couple months that I really feel like I'm sort of on the other side for the first time. And I know that that feeling never goes away and I probably just jinxed it The horribly. other side in what way? Well, the other side meaning like, I feel like I'm here somewhere. Like I'm in this. You've got a career. Yeah like, I, yeah. like I really have something and know what I'm saying and know what I'm doing and being rewarded for it, um, you know, financially and personally and by my audience and stuff. But I'm not rolling in dough by by any stretch. I'm not I right. make six figures. But like but I'm I'm doing good, right? You're you're not I'm, scared. I'm not yeah. And but the fear it's always there. It right. You know, the fear factor, so to speak. It's yeah. all, it, I think it, it probably never leaves the most I, I have a friend no. of mine who's on a huge sitcom. She's making a boatload of money and she talks to me about it all the time. Mm-hmm. That like she's like, it could be gone tomorrow. Yeah. And then what? And then what am I left with? So I have some money now, but like, you know, what am I left with? Um but I do aspire. My my house is pretty much ninety percent IKEA. Like I want to get to hundred. No, I want to get to the point when there's no. I want to get to ten percent IKEA. You know what oh, I mean? Okay. Like my couch is IKEA. My bed is IKEA. My futons IKEA. Mm. The shit in my kitchen is IKEA. Like it's uh, that would be to me success. success to like get let's just designer furniture. Yeah, well, because the IKEA couch more than anything is is painful not good it's not good no that might be why my neck hurts it's not because of my eye could be that as well yeah. yeah but that but but you know like i'm joking but also like there's a lot of truth in that like that i feel like it sort of started working and i was just looking around my place the other day like maybe the next phase will be like a little bit more something well in, i in feel like life. it's a rabbit hole that you have you have to be really careful whether you step in, because it will suck your time up. Yeah, you know, oh, like sure. this, this hunting thing has sucked my time up. If I went into the manufacturing my own furniture thing, <laughs> like <laughs> cutting my own wood and milling it, and so, and unfortunately, I have friends that are professional woodworkers. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I know like that it is possible yeah. to learn all that stuff and then build furniture you could do it but then you'd have to say okay well am i gonna weave my own cloth to cover this furniture right are you churn gonna, in your own butter yeah. i mean what are we talking am i gonna about use here? the elk that i kill for the leather that covers the couch and the, i'm gonna have to kill quite a few animals to populate my house the whole thing would be a bloodbath it's it would a lot, be nuts it's a lot of work yeah it's a lot of work or am i gonna you know get one of them crazy indian weaves you know where you like have the yarn you pull it through and you just push it down and make your own cloth yeah it's a lot of fucking work but do you feel like you're there that that mean? place, that place on the other side, where you've sort of built what you wanted to build, and and your life and your work and all of it is I'm, sort of lined up. Do you feel no, like you're there? No, no, I don't think. So I don't, that's what I, I mean. Don't think never, like that. Yeah, I don't but, think but like that. When I ask I you that worry. specifically, I don't worry about money. Yeah, I don't worry about money, but um, I worry about work. In in that, I want to make sure that everything I'm doing is good. Yeah, whether it's podcasts or whether it's stand up or whether it's uh, doing my commentary. I always want to make sure that I'm not doing bad stuff and that if I if I have done something that's not that good, I make sure that that doesn't happen ever again. Mm-hmm. Or that if it does happen again, I learn from that one too and then it gets better even there. So there's that. Like It's not like, shit, I got to pay my bills. But I do remember that feeling yeah. b- bad. And I also remember the moment that that went away, how free it was. Like uh, I got a development deal when I was like um, 
I don't know how many years in the comedy, but it's like 93. And I, I got a big check from Disney, of all people. Uh-huh. And uh, all of a sudden, I didn't have to worry about how I was paying my rent. All of a sudden, for at least the next year or so, or a couple of years, it was paid. And I, it was like this silence. Like this weight, just literally a physical weight felt yeah. like it lifted off my shoulders. And then I thought about it and I said, man, you know what? Some people never get to that place. They live their life from cradle to the grave, constantly under the pressure of bills, check to check. And that that freedom of not worrying about <clears throat> your bills is massive. And people trip themselves up by putting themselves in debt and by getting in over their head, mm-hmm. giving themselves a bunch of shit that they don't need, then they have to pay for it or they buy it on credit, then they have to fucking, don't worry, I'll, I'll figure out a way. And that, that pressure is overwhelming for people. Yeah. And that, when that pressure went away, it was replaced by the pressure to try to do good stuff. To try to do things that I can be proud of. To try to do things where... But weren't you doing that already? Yeah, but I was trying to do it and I was worried about making money at the same time. And as soon as the worry about making money kind of goes away, yeah. then you're you're left with a pure sense of why you're doing it. So isn't that, for all the things that now we put out there, podcast, video, audio, all that stuff, owning your brand, all the all the things that you do... I hate that expression. It's sort of, well, I know, I hate it too, but... Like, Own your brand. You've done amazing it, 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 things with you your brand. Branded, branded, when yeah. people say that, I want to run from them. Yeah. How do you I, manage your brand? Somebody asked me to do a seminar on that. <laughs> Really recently. Yeah. Well, email. you're not worried about money, so I guess yeah. you didn't have to. Pretty good. I don't think you make much money in those seminars. Yeah, seminars pay. You know who, who gets money? The people that run the seminar. Yeah. They, they get money. <laughs> they're doing they're, all they're right. They're the pimps. I'm they're, sorry. Yeah, no. Uh, but that that's the beauty of all this stuff. So you you built this whole thing, and then you're free. You, you answer to yourself. Yeah. You know? And in it's that really, sense, And yes. this is a very unique time for people like us, because mm-hmm. finally all of this exists so that we can control our destiny. Yeah. You know, and I'm I'm attached to a network or has been really good to me as you said at the beginning. They let me do whatever I want. I mean, literally they sat me down the day before the show started, an executive who I had never met in person before said he's like I have one thing to say to you, make the show you want to make, not the show you think we want you to make. What is and your show on? What is it on now? So we're on Aura TV, what is that? which is Larry King's digital network. Larry so King has his own digital network. Larry King Look it's with partners with Carlos Slim. You Who's know, that? Carlos Slim, Slim is, Jim? They say, no, he's, no? <laughs> he's even richer than that guy. No way. They say he's the ri- he is either the richest or second richest man in the world. He's a Mexican oh, telecom billionaire. Yeah. He partly owns the New York Times now and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. So they're, they're part digital network and part production company. So William Shatner has a show there. Jesse Ventura has a show. Um, they so, pay well? Um, I mean, as I said, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not making six figures. I don't like I'm not, I'm not making six figures. Um but they let me do it. Tell Larry I King, he's almost dying. Come, come up in here. Cash. Oh, I, no. <laughs> oh, to come pay, on. Pony Release up. the hounds. Yeah, he's been very good to me. He, you yeah, know what? I'll yeah, tell you. Whatever. I'll tell you what. Saying, I want to hear better numbers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> believe me, I want to hear better numbers too. But actually, this is the first deal that I ever had my agent close for me, and because I'd always done even my Sirius XM deals, I did by myself and my really? podcast deals. I'd always done everything, and when my agent did this, it was I didn't realize how hard it was going to be for me to let go and mm. be like, oh, I'm supposed to trust you to right. actually do a deal. Oh, yeah. And that, that was really hard for me to actually say, you know, but that's, but that's how you mature in this thing. You gotta, well, you gotta have a good agent. Yeah. You know, I told you my issue that I had with the agent when the Mencia thing went down, how horrible yeah. that was, but I've had the same manager scrub. I was just a kid in my early twenties, didn't know what the fuck I was doing, but yeah. I was able to, since I was an open micer. Wow. That's where I got really lucky. My manager, he found me in Boston when I was make people laugh. 
and he saw something that he thought, and we worked together ever since. And we've been, he's one of my best friends. He's a great friend. Yeah. So, but a manager, really a manager could be, people are, I think people are always confuse sort of the manager agent thing. Mm -hmm. A manager really is sort of like, in a lot of respects, should be your friend and your guru yes. and your sort of, you know, helping you down that road. The agent is getting you gigs. But sometimes they're not. I mean, I have friends that have just really fucked up relationships with their managers. And yeah. and when you're not doing well, the manager can be a real cunt <laughs> and hard to get on the codependent relationship. That Wait, you're saying have. the people in this town can be fair weather friends? I'm not saying exactly I that. I can't believe we're, it. Listen, we're almost out of time, but yeah. I really, before we leave, I have to talk to you about one thing that you yeah. told me that I think is, and when you do start doing well, then you're, they're your buddy. Like, it's an incestuous, weird fucking very strange codependent relationship that wait you're saying have. the people in this town can be fair weather friends and I'm not saying exactly I that I can't believe we're it. listen we're almost out of time but yeah. I really before we leave I have to talk to you about one thing that you yeah. told me that I think is incredibly fascinating uh -oh. you came out literally the to someone for the very first time the day before September 11th the night it was it was about midnight of September 11th so meaning September 10th it had yes. just rolled into September 11th the first person I ever came out to a brilliant comic who you've never heard of and I don't even know what happened to him this guy Mike Singer was one of the best comics that I ever knew we worked for years together this guy was wickedly funny I think he lives in Colombia now or something not doing stand-up anyway he was gay and he was so I in a way I was ahead of my time in terms of being out as a comic that doesn't necessarily play into every stereotype and all that. This guy was really ahead of it because he was 15 years older than me and had done it already. Anyway, we were in the Times Square subway. I was going back. I lived on the Upper East at the time. I was walking to the uh, shuttle thing to go to get on the East Side. And I had, I was just a fucking complete mess. It, it, it's, it's incredibly hard to live one life, right? Like to live one life on this planet is, is a hard thing. Try living two at the same time. And that's what I was doing because I had my life that everyone knew. And then I had this secret life where I was out, you know, hooking up and, and it was, I was lying to people constantly, even though I, I never intended to lie. I would be somewhere and I'd bump into a friend and I'd be with a guy, a gay person. And I could just, Oh, that's my cousin. Like it just, it was incredible. I, I uh. never really, I mean this, I never intended to lie to people or it just became this really horrible game of cat and mouse and I was depressed and I was smoking a lot of pot and all this shit anyway um and then when it when it really so the, as I said to you earlier you know that that it was the fuel for good comedy for a long time and then eventually it just started sputtering it was like I wasn't happy I wasn't full I wasn't couldn't wow. bring those things to the stage anymore and just my life was a fucking disaster anyway uh about midnight just eight hours before the first plane hit I'm in this Times Square subway station with my friend I told him I was gay. I don't think he realized, even though this guy knew me for years, I don't think he realized that, I, I don't think I said, oh, you're the first person I'm telling or something like that. Like, I just said it. And we just, we talked for two or three minutes and he's like, all right, I'll, I'll talk to you later this week or something. And I go home and I woke up and I turn on the TV and America's under attack. And I kid you not, like I was smoking a lot of pot at the time. I was not mentally right. Like I wasn't. I, I remember probably a few weeks before that, I was walking to the subway and by living two lives, I felt I felt like a crazy person. It's hard to describe. The only way I could describe it was I remember walking uh, down Second Avenue and it looked like all the buildings were shaking. Like I was I felt centered like I was OK. But literally, it felt like the world was being ripped apart. That was like the the level of 
disconnect I had with reality at that point. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you can't express your love properly, if you can't, you know, that's why a lot, we started this whole thing talking about all these guys that are jacked and working out all the time and whatever. It's like, that's why I said it's very sad to me because these are people who could not express a very human thing in a proper way. So they end up acting out at 45 in a way that they should have acted when they were 15, you know? Or they're partying and having a great or time and you're a hater. Milo Yiannopoulos. What do you have against meth? <laughs> well, Milo, who you had on a couple weeks mm -hmm. ago, and I had him on the day or two after. I mean, we argued about that. Me, as the liberal, the gay married liberal who's for that traditional thing, and him as the off-the-wall British gay conservative who's against gay marriage because he wants to talk about drugs and partying and sex and whatever. So it's, uh, that's well, why I love talking to him. You know, all honesty, and I really enjoy talking to Milo, he's trolling in so yeah. many different ways simultaneously. Well, he's winking at you yes, the entire time. Exactly. That's uh, the, yeah. the audience. I think the audience is aware of it, and if he was sitting right Most here, he would the audience isn't aware of it, I don't think. Well, these people are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but anyway, anyway, so you... So I woke up, and I, I kid you not, Joe, I kid you not, I thought it had something to do with me. I thought we were, like, the world was attacked, or we were under attack because that I finally expressed this thing that I, the secret that I had had. For, that it's so bad that, yeah. that being out caused the world to collapse. Yeah, I know that, even saying that now, I've only told this publicly maybe twice, like it sounds completely fucking insane and it's that was and it is insane but like that's where my head was at and and interestingly after that the way i dealt with coming out was i would tell someone and then i would get this little burst of feeling better i would suddenly cuz you i was like constricting my heart and when i would tell someone it would it would open up a little and i'd feel better and i could i really could feel like i could breathe better like really felt better and then i would wait until that pressure would start building again sometimes i would wait months and then i would tell someone and then I would do this over the course of like two years. And then eventually I realized, I was like, you know, every time I tell somebody this thing that I think is horrible and they're pretty much okay and I feel better, I was like, I got to end this. It's time to end this now. Mm. And that's, that's basically when I told the remaining people and, and that was it. It's a weird secret because the people that do care that don't like it, they're not worth knowing. And nobody, literally nobody, nobody that I told. You know, my dad struggled for a little bit or, you know, whatever, this and that. My, a lot, the thing that mostly people got was that nobody believed I was gay. That was like my main, but you play basketball. You know what I mean? <laughs> you play basketball. Like, you, do, you know, like that. So nobody could believe, like, they just, well, you don't seem gay. Like, I don't like to dance. I don't. <laughs> You know, K's dancing. Yeah. That's hilarious. I learned my dancing from Cosby. Like that's my move. You know, like oh, so. That's like funny. so, all of that. Like it did. So that was the main thing. Everyone was just sideswiped. So a lot of times, people will say to me, you know, you're you act straight or you're straight acting or something, which in the gay community is thought of as like this great thing. You know, that if you're straight acting, you're masculine. It's really great. But I don't, I don't take it that way because every time someone says it to me, it makes me feel like a freak. You know what I mean? Like why am really? I? Yeah, because I am who I am. This is it. You know what I mean? Like, like I had gay sex last night after I had that grass fed beef, you know? And so I'm gay. I'm married to a guy. There's, that sounds like a gay person. That, that, that's a pretty gay. You're married thing. to a guy. I would say you're gay. Yeah, it's pretty gay. That's, that's gay. when I realized I was like, oh, I'm marrying this dude. Like, I guess I'm gay. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? That's like, what you realized. I was like, holy shit. Like, I guess, well, you know. No turning back now. Yeah. Um, it was a phase. I was experimenting. That, yeah, this is a long phase. I'm really like... You know, it's dragging out this phase thing. But I realized that if, that if I felt better when I told people that 
that there had to be some value in that mm-hmm. in, in a way that I couldn't understand things. Right. But but to the to the straight acting like so I don't it means nothing to me when I meet guys that are completely flaming, or if I meet guys that are that you'd have no idea like I like people based on their values and their sense of humor and like shit like that. I never as do all people that matter as as yeah. And you know what? That's sort of a a great way to bring this all around because that gets away from judging people on what you're supposed to think about them and all that social justice warrior and regressive bullshit versus judging people on the content of their character. And And also it gets back to what we were saying earlier that it's like it's just being aware socially, being a good person to communicate with versus being socially retarded and just looking for those Ben Affleck brownie moments. Yeah. Let let me toss in one other thing that sort of ties into this really nicely. So one... One time when I was on uh, The Young Turks, uh, and I'm not going to mention names here, but I was on and they were showing a clip from Fox News and they were talking about how the black host, that he was such a token black guy. He was such a token black guy. And I actually know the guy. It's this guy, David Webb, who I used to work with at SiriusXM. I'm pretty good friends with him. I had dinner with him last week. Uh, He is a black conservative. He is a conservative. I I know him. I know what this guy believes. He spends hours on the air every day professing his beliefs. Mm -hmm. And that's when that was another. This happened a little bit after that whole Sam Harris thing. But that was another moment when I realized how perverse this whole regressive thing is. That here you have people on the left that are supposed to be about ideas looking at the color of that guy's skin and saying, well, because you don't believe what I think you're supposed to believe as a black person. You're a token black guy. Uh, you know, we've all done that. You know, like when they showed like a Republican convention and there's one black guy applauding, <laughs> and you're like, oh, there's the token black guy. But I realized that's actually racism. Like yeah. that was that was really a seminal moment for me that really changed my thinking. Because I was like, this is crazy. I know this person personally. This is a friend of mine and I know he believes, he's not doing this because he's a token black. This is, this is what he believes and you as the on the left are pointing at this guy and saying you're different than what i think you're supposed to be black guy so you must be a token or you're an uncle tom or a sellout or something and also all of this when you the gay stuff the social justice or the, the regressive stuff like judge people based on what they say what they say and what they believe nothing else that that's it that's, that's it. it wrap it up Dave Rubin, thank you very much, man. I'm glad we got together. I've never had to pee as badly as I do <laughs> right go, this second. Go run. I'll wrap if this I had, up. If I had peed, I could we just keep going. You no, we just talk. It. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. People have done it a bunch of times. Um, Thanks, brother. How do people, how do people get your show? Thank you. My, my pleasure. Really, this was beyond a pleasure. Beyond, um, how do people listen to your show? How do they get a hold of it? Uh, YouTube slash Rubin Report or a TV or a dot TV slash Rubin Report. Rubin Report on Twitter. My branding. I told you the branding. Keep that brand alive. Thanks, brother. All right. Thanks, brother. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back soon. See you. See you. Have a lovely life. Kiss your friends. Bye bye. Wait. I seriously got to pee.